Hello, everybody, and welcome to another inter-season episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, Jack Chambers-Ward, and joining me, it's Matthew Snogden. Fix a few sequels, they call you a fan fiction writer. <laughs> Fix a million, and you're a sequelizer. Well, we've done a hundred. We're on our a way to million. a million. We're on our way to a million. We'll Before that, when we're just... Eventually. Fan fiction punks. How, how long is a million weeks? Ignoring inter-season episodes, it's going to be a while. Uh, it's like 20,000 years or something. Let me, let me be, find out for you. It's going to be a while. While Matt's calculating how many a million weeks, how many sequels we will fix in a million weeks. It's 19,000 years. Christ. Back to like the Ice Age. Go yes. Take, yeah. Well, there we go. And speaking of things from the Ice Age, it's Tim Matum. One more thing, Jack. Is she aware her movie is still alive? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Good lord. Well, there's no way you would have guessed the topic from those quotes, I don't think. Because the topic Tim is... and I know. <laughs> I thank God for that. Because it is, in fact, a Patreon pick this week. Picked by one of executive producers, as they get to do for being executive producers, at the highest of the tiers. We're going to be talking about cliffhangers this week. And a very special request twist on cliffhangers which we'll get on to in the second episode. Oh in the boy. Second, on the second half of the episode. We're going to resolve some of our own cliffhangers from some of our own previous pitches, which melts my brain a little bit. <laughs> they won't be full pitches, I hasten to add. Matthew. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you did. <laughs> oh, I, I, what I still might do, I, have, I don't know yet. Matthew never knows what he's doing until he's doing it. Just doing it. The spontaneity of a Stogden. It's, it's about just, just going one direction as hard and as fast as possible. Yeah. And going, oh no. That explains Matt, a lot. Matt lives his life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> I do! It is it's about family. Without you, Stogden. <laughs> that's that's fair. And I tell you all about it when I sequelize again. <laughs> so a couple of days then. <laughs> I'll see you in a couple of days. Um, but yes, as I mentioned, this episode is in fact the topic for it has been picked by one of our executive producers from patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you'd like to join the executive producers, get ad-free episodes, get early access to episodes, get exclusive merch, discounts on merch, entire bonus episodes, full bonus episodes in the interseason, outtakes, full pitches, which we will be putting some pitches up for this as well, so you can have a scroll for our notes for this episode, because we're kind of doing pitches, sort of, for <laughs> sequels to our own sequels. Yeah. Yep. All the bonus stuff is available on patreon.com slash sequelizers, and the executive producers for this week are Josh van der Sluis. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. James McDowell. Oh, God. Stuart Main. Number 99. Marcus Lindstrom. Let the games begin. Xenos. Princess, you'll find her. I promise. Chewie, I'll be waiting for your signal. 
Take care, you two. May the force be with you. Philip Morgan. Luigi, Mario! Daisy! You gotta come with me, I need your help. What's wrong? You're never gonna believe this. I believe it. You do? <laughs> I believe. Josh Miles. Hello, beastie. Hyper Dude Man. Is she aware her daughter is still alive? And the man who has asked us to sequelize our own sequels, sort of, and resolve some cliffhangers. The one and only Jonathan Firth Clark. Come on, Hobbits. Long ways to go yet. Smoother will show you the way. Follow me. Last time in the end season, John wanted us to do Donnie Yen, and we did a thing we've never done before where we had an entire episode about one person. We're back doing a thing we've never done before at the request of Jonathan Firth Clark, resolving our own cliffhanger sequels in some weird semi-pitch thing that's not quite yeah. sequels we'd like to see, not quite sequelizers, it's something in the middle. Mm. But before we get to all of that, that's going to be the second half of the episode. The first half is us talking about cliffhangers in movies in general and kind of discussing some of the definitions, some good examples, some weird examples, the history of it, where it all comes from. You know the score if you've heard an interseason episode before. We're going to delve into the history of cinema and some of our favourites and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll get into the double sequelizer, weird triple pitch second half in the second half. Mm. <laughs> so, Matthew, where do you want to start off with cliffhangers? Should we, should we start with some defining let's of different define things? It, okay. Let's define it, mm. let's define it, let's define it. Because we were doing various of us... Uh, we're doing a little bit of research before the episode. Yes, just thinking, um, like, okay, let's let's think of some films that have notable cliffhangers. Um, and you can stick that into Google: movie cl- best movie cliffhangers, worst Whoa. movie cliffhangers, and it will kick out a bunch that aren't fucking cliffhangers. Absolutely, they treat ambiguous ending as cliffhanger. Yes, which fucks me off. The the example we talked about that was like top of the list is literally the top featured result on the featured snippet on Google for like mm. famous famous movie cliffhangers is Inception, which is absolutely not a cliffhanger. No, no. Does not set up a second movie, doesn't tease a franchise or any bollocks like that. You just have the spinning top that wobbles a bit. Or does it? Ooh. Yeah, there yeah. are a handful of these things that end in a way that it's like, oh my God, what happens next? There's um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. There's Inception. There's very famously, and by literal definition, the Italian job. Yeah. Yes. But they're not cliffhangers. No. Even if one is a bus on a cliff, yeah. hanging on the edge, <laughs> saying, hang on, boys, I've got a great idea. Not a cliffhanger, because the... Um, whether oh, it's going to be so hard to fucking clarify this, so it's kind of like porn. Oh, here we go. In the you know it when you see it. You know it when yeah, you see it. I knew it. you were going to go mm, there. Yeah. Uh, always you, with the porn. And you know how often. you know how it's going to end. Oh. Um, but, <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think I think the the you thing always with skip a... straight to the end. <laughs> I mean, what? To me, the thing with a cliffhanger, and to go back to like the the origin of the phrase. Oh, comes yes. from yes. stuff like uh, serial 
cinema back in the day in the very you know early days of cinema uh-huh. when you would have these things like flash gordon and westerns and stuff like that things that inspired indiana jones and star wars et cetera, yeah. Et cetera. yeah yeah where yeah. you would li- stuff you would literally have a short film it was basically like getting an episode of tv and so they would end it often with a person hanging off a cliff or some put in some similar peril that was meant to basically encourage you to come back What's going to happen next when yeah. Jack is hanging off a cliff? Tune in next week. Yeah. And exactly. it would be usually bullshit. Yes. Because famously in a film called Misery, which is obviously a book of Misery, mm. yep. um, uh, Kathy Bates' character says, you know, didn't get out of the cock a car, that kind of thing. Because <laughs> the idea is that, oh my God, next we're going to find out about how they get off that cliff. Mm. Because they just saw this. There's no way they can escape this. Yeah. And then they say, oh, and by the way, they just climbed up because they had a rope on them. Like, anyway, no, they Jack climbed up the cliff and now we start this week's episode. It's our like, car trace. What? It's thrilling. It's like, yeah. Hang yeah. the fuck on. Um, yeah. Usually, it's like that, basically. Yeah, usually because... It's cheap. It, 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 it's cheap. And it, especially in those days, the cliffhanger didn't actually have that much to do with the story that they wanted to tell in the next episode. It was just a, it was just a marketing tool to get you to come back next week. And then... Oh, that's resolved, and now here's the actual plot of the thing, and then we'll end it on another, you know, oh, looks like, you know, Jim McGraw has seen off the the Indians once again, but what's this? Oh my god, a snake has come into his tent. Will he survive? Come back next... You know, it's not... Absolutely, yeah. They're not part of the story that is being told. They're just this little end thing yep. to get you to come back. Yeah, Which, and so, so when you get things like the Italian job, Inception, mm. and three... Uh, billboards ads. I'm going to spoil all three a bit here, I'm afraid. Italian job. The only place I can go is they get the gold or they all have to get off the bus. Yes. That's it. That's there's there's it. no intention to return to that story no. because the, the interesting thing about it is leaving it ambiguous. Absolutely. Whereas there's plenty, and we'll get into them, mm. there are plenty of stories that end with the hope that they're going to get another film Correct. to then tell that, and some of them do. And mm. some of them don't. Yeah, entirely. And sometimes they know going in that they're oh, this has been so successful. We know we're going to get another one. But off- Dune, yeah, wasn't actually guaranteed to have a sequel. No, big no. ass cliffhanger in theory. Yeah. Uh, and then well, it's like it's, it's pretty much a given it's going to get a sequel, but it wasn't greenlit. Well, it's yeah. called Dune, and then the title credits comes Dune Part One. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Mm. Um, at the end of the day, really especially in modern cinema, um, a cliffhanger is a sign of arrogance. Absolutely. Because it's it's saying either we already know we're making another one of these or we think this is going to be a, such a hit that we, we predict we're going to get another one of these. Weirdly enough, this kind of parallels the earlier you were talking about with serials, Tim, because we're now in this franchise era and yes, I'm going to say those three letters... The MCU, everybody. Yay. (laughs) Not those three letters, Matthew. I don't know what you were thinking. NHS. (laughs) (laughs) Will he live? Will he die? (laughs) Tune in next week. Will it be privatized? Yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. Everything's fucked. Exactly, yeah. But MCU is serialized filmmaking again. Yeah. So it's the weird thing of like going back to all the pulp stuff you were Mm. mentioning with cowboys and Indians and detectives Mm. and all this kind of stuff. It's back. It's comics, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is where pulp novels come from, then turned into films and all this kind of mm-hmm. shit. Like 
And serial it's media from film also originates to things like uh, like Alexandre Dumas and Charles Dickens writing yeah. in old newspapers of like, I'm just going to drag this out per word. And you end up with these huge tones. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. you've gone from the cliffhangers of old where it's like the last 30 seconds is, oh no, he's stuck mm. in a well. How can he escape? Mm. And now we have like, and everything's resolved. Don't forget the mid-credits scene, though. You're like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. You'll get this like thing that kind of stands alone by itself for the most part, and then suddenly the mid-credits thing or a post-credits scene or whatever it is, now it's become the thing of like, before you go into the cinema, Google does this film have a post-credits? Yeah. <laughs> does this film How have many? a mid-credits scene? How many mid and post and mm. post-post? Okay, one of them's plot. One of them's funny, but the funny one's first, so you have to sit through the funny one to get to the plot <laughs> one, which actually sets up the next movie. Like, for fuck's sake. It's weird how it's come back round like 70, 90 years later, yeah. whatever it is, like this weird cyclical nature of filmmaking and stuff. And now mm -hmm. it's escaped out of the Marvel stuff, which don't get me wrong, did not invent modern cliffhangers as we know in post-credit scenes. Don't get me wrong. No, I'm not crediting them that, but they very much popularized it over the last, you know, decade or so. 15 years now. God, Jesus Christ. Um and now every fucker does it. Everything thinks it's setting up a franchise. Everyone's like, oh, we've got this standalone movie, yeah. but it could set up a franchise mm. or a crossover with this thing because this thing's Warner Brothers and this thing's also <laughs> Warner Brothers. This thing's owned by Sony and this thing's also Sony. So oh, I can all, we can have a big franchise on our hands. You made no money. Uh, we'll do something else. And then it will also cross over with the thing. It's like, that also made no money. We'll do another thing <laughs> that has another post-credits that sort of ties... Oh, and it'll come it. out on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, you can look at the modern post-credits, mid-credits scene and think of them as a slightly more elegant version of those old serial yeah, storytelling sure, sure. because they don't pretend that they are part of the main plot of the the kind of the, the the story that we are being told and really where especially with the mcu you have these individual stories that are the, that are the movies or the tv shows uh, but the story of the universe continues and the, yeah. the post-credit scene are more like they are like cliffhangers for the universe rather than for those necessarily those characters Yes, they're they're just kind of saying like, oh, this is a direction we might take this thing in, but we'll see what everybody thinks of it. You know, we'll check Twitter and we'll interview people after screenings and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually rare, even as successful as the MCU is, for them to have a true cliffhanger. Um, they've only done it once. Yes, and it's one of the best of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because as we get back to it a little later. It's ones that go um, hand in hand with something that's already been shot. Yeah. So it's a cessation of story rather than a, a true cliffhanger mm. of like, well, I guess we'll wait and see. It's like, no, no, mm. we already know you'll come back. And more importantly for that side of things, you've already shot it. Yeah. And to go back to the arrogance thing, like it makes sense that there's very few like well-executed, clever cliffhangers in films and that, that aren't sort of slightly more ambiguous because most films don't know if they're going to be a success. They don't know if they're going to get another one. It takes a very like dominant franchise 
for them to go into a film knowing that they're going to get a third, uh, a, a, a subsequent one, and yeah, it, it yeah, very yeah. and it often, it's often part twos that have cliffhangers. Yeah, and, in, yeah. and some of that is because of the nature of like three act storytelling. Yes, but it's also because at that point you've had the first one be a success. Yeah, that's exactly what I was. And then say, they yeah. can go in and they can go. We're going to make two more of these. That that's jumps the gun there with that like as I mentioned earlier, like, we made one and it's going to cross over with everything. It's mm. like, it made no money. If you've already got that proven one with the first one, you yeah. know you can make money from this franchise, you then can kind of try and justify the third one off the mm. back of that through the second one. And often, as we've talked about many times on sequelizers, even if it's worse, the second movie, if it follows something good, will make more money than the first one. Mm. It justifies the third one even more. Yeah, and I think there's another factor to it as well, because just to tie all this stuff up and give a bit of historical context, as Tim said, historically these things were cheap. I don't mean cheap to shoot, I mean they felt cheap. It felt like bad writing, it felt like... Lazy. Lazy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Until, and this is true for almost all sequels, until the 70s. Now, there are a lot of examples we've gone over the years. We're like, ah, but this one was always a good one. This was like Bride of Frankenstein, one of the ones that's, like, that's yes. better than the first one. Yep. Mm. Um, but in the 70s, and I'm going to credit one person specifically here because it's very important. The first sequel to win a Best Picture uh, Academy Award is Godfather Part II. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the studio were desperate not to call it Part Two, yes. mm. it's going to get in so much trouble. And then from there, you had so many twos. Jaws, allegedly, Jaws 2 might have been the first sequel to have an actual number two from We talked studio. about it in episode mm. one of Sequel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, again, it's just a kind of thing. The Godfather is another interesting outlier because not so much sequels, obviously, as we cover on this on this uh, uh, podcast. But in terms of cliffhangers, they are very genre specific. You do mm. not often get a drama cliffhanger. No. Um, in, in a drama, not a biopic, you'll get things that obviously mm. have dramatic elements to them. But a quint, they're usually self-contained stories because they're independent. They're smaller. They're um, the kind of thing that you are telling a contained story that's yeah. just a one-off um, and usually it's a lot cleverer in terms of writing for that mm. but and you don't often get those things spinning off into franchises no, right? of course not. you of course get not. these big blockbuster stuff MCU Fast and Furious mm. all the big shit that's happening yeah. at the moment mm. action uh, horror adventure oh, God, fantasy yeah, yeah, horror's a lot scratch the surface on the horror a stuff a weird one Comedy, maybe, but they're not Com really consequential. Uh, comedy, it tends to it tends to be. It's a lot of joke. It's a jo it's another joke. Yeah, type thing, you know, the sort of like the twenty two Jump Street. Yes, uh, you oh, know, God, like here's yeah. here's where all the films could go. Yeah, or the Jump Street twenty fifty five, whatever. It's yeah, like. yeah, mm -hmm. or you know, um, it's sort of uh, some shit like. <laughs> Adam Sandler thing. I was just it, about to say. Where it yeah. like ends and the wife goes, oh, by the way, turns out I'm pregnant. And yeah. he goes, more? And it, like the camera zooms in on his face or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I'm sterile. Wop, wop. <laughs> what? For all those times, ending. Kevin James punched me in the balls. Yeah. See the new Adam Sandler film, shooting blanks. <laughs> um, it, is, it is a very strange, weird one. And, and we people... People have some, in the, in the same way that people can't categorize irony very well, a lot of people can't identify a cliffhanger. 
it's just again that open-ended or ambiguous ending. I think how long is the story going to continue from this cliffhanger? Mm. Probably another another beat, but then the story will start again. Nope, then that's not a cliffhanger. Mm. If 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 it exists, that it um almost cannot continue without it. That's a cliffhanger. Mm. Which, having said that, there are essentially we're kind of thinking as like, oh, good cliffhangers and bad cliffhangers. But really, that resolves into cliffhangers that get a resolution and cliffhangers that don't. Thank you, Tim, because I think, and this is going to sound like a bold thing to say, I think every single cliffhanger is a good cliffhanger. Yeah. Because it's only, and I, this is why we, get, we addressed this years ago on a previous episode, and I, I sort of st- still stand by it, that I rated Pirates of the Caribbean to Dead Man's Chest fine. It was a pr- pretty decent film. Mm. Uh, but its sequel at World's End was worse. Mm. I was like, well, why is that, Matt? It's like, because the second one did what it needed to do. The resolution of that cliffhanger was the problem. The mm. cliffhanger itself, although frustrating in a way, mm. um, wasn't a problem. Mm. In the same way that we talk about The Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, big cliffhanger. Mm. Uh, and Matrix Revolutions, uh, yeah, sure, mm. fine. The cliffhanger didn't go as well as I wanted it to, but you know mm. what? It did the bits and pieces there and things. But there are so many films that exist um, that I both hate and love. Uh, literally two off the bat. Um, one I remember when I was very, very young is Super Mario Brothers 2. Uh, sorry, that doesn't exist. The Super Mario Brothers movie. Super Mario <laughs> Brothers World. Super Mario Land. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mario Bros. 2. Yeah. Six Yoshi's, Golden Coins. Yoshi's Island. Yep. Six Golden Coins. <laughs> So basically, Paper Mario, Mario RPG, <laughs> Mario and Luigi Adventures in the Space, whatever that one's called, <laughs> with um, uh, Mario and Sonic Olympics, Bob Hoskins, Mario Kart and John Leguizamo, yeah. uh, the one with the rabbits <laughs> coming uh, back, Mario versus Rabbids, yeah, yeah, yeah. to New York or Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. You little punk. No. So. They come back uh, from Mushroom Kingdom and um, it's all been successful. And then Daisy appears with a big gun. Mm. Mario, Luigi. Oh my God, what is it? You're never going to believe it. We haven't written anything. We don't know what it is. And then he gets his tools and goes, oh, I believe it. And John Leguizamo is like, you believe it? I believe. And then they leave. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what could it be? The answer is nothing. They have no idea. There's no story. It's yeah. not a thing. It's just an open-ended, yeah. Marty, something's got to be done about your kids. Yeah. And because we never got the resolution to that, thank Christ. True, it's a good cliffhanger. So I'm like, <laughs> I've been there. I, I cannot. Hold on, whoa, 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 Because you just said because we never got the resolution yeah. to it, it's a good cliffhanger. Yeah, because by definition, it's set up. Okay, but when I was watching that as a kid in the cinema, I saw the film and thought, oh, I can't wait for the next adventure, <laughs> even though this was bad. <laughs> That's because you give films too much credit. That's fair. You sound like rich from unequal sequel. Is always uh, like, oh, I, far, I, but, yeah. I hated um, Let There Be Carnage, Again, but I'd be interested to see a third one. So to clarify. Go, Why? <laughs> they did two bad ones like, in a row. I was like an eight-year-old kid. I didn't know any better. But what, what I'm Rich is to... a 40-year-old man. He has no excuse. That's true. <laughs> what I mean is, it's, the story is complete. It's told its tale. It's resolved things. And then at the end, it says, oh my God, there's going to be some more stuff. Tune in next week to find out what... Tune in next week. Problem is, yeah. And then you go back and go, oh, it was bullshit. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's certain ones that are very transparent 
because they feel they feel like those cliffhangers of old like yes. back, the first back to the future film the story's resolved and then doc just shows up and is like it's time for another adventure <laughs> yeah. um whereas back to the future part 2 the 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 story builds to the cliffhanger yes and it's all laid out yes and 3 has been shot at the same time exactly yeah so i you know super mario brothers is a, is an example of like like you said they didn't know where they were fucking going with it it didn't matter um and there's plenty of those out there. And sometimes they can do that and the next film can come along and it's fine enough. But I think yeah. there's that, that still to me feels like a weak cliffhanger. Oh, okay. Because, because the, it's, not, it, it's not organic to the story. Okay. Whereas something like Pirates 2, which is a film that I don't you know, necessarily... I should say, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Um, <laughs> To me, that's a good cliffhanger, even though I don't necessarily enjoy the follow-up film because the story hit, it builds to that climax. That's fair. Okay, I, I appreciate that. that. Is, that's that that's is, fair. That's that fair. is all part of the plot. It's not that they get to the end and, and just then, tacked on, a new and bit. then Jack just shows up and goes like, "It's time for another adventure." Yes. Um, okay. I, that, do you know what? I, I am okay with that. Yeah. Um, I won't argue at all because I think you're right. I think um, the again it comes that definition again and what is good what is bad is it good because it entertained me or is it good because it hit the definition that kind of thing you know um this by definition is a chocolate bar it's like, yeah but it tastes like crap it's like yeah but it's a chocolate bar by definition so it must mm. be good right so I, I i can see exactly where you're coming from tim mm. in the same way that um yeah that it, that it, so from, from your perspective it's something that ultimately builds momentum to a a distinct cliffhanger yeah. point so it arguably cannot exist without its follow-up true yeah. comfortably at least yeah okay, I, I, okay, okay. I, I don't think i think i think for it to be an effective cliffhanger it has to be resolved it has to be resolved and it even if the the resolution doesn't it might not live up to expectation that's not the because, problem of this film with, yes, yeah yeah um so empire strikes back for example if if, if there were no more star wars after that mm, you'd have a lot of very unsatisfied fans yeah that's interesting. Okay, I, 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 I think I definitely agree with that. That's fair. I, this mm. does actually segue us very interestingly into something else. Mm. Because you speak about unresolved stuff, right? Um, would you say Hellboy 2 The Golden Army is an unresolved cliffhanger with the fact that the story is complete, mm. but uh, literally aforementioned Adam Sandler example, yes. <laughs> yeah. yep. Liz is pregnant. Yep. And there are other obviously bits and pieces mm. to be built on, but do and that the they quit the BPRD. What's going to happen next? Mm. Who knows? Is that an open-ended ending, which is ambiguous? Is it because I think it was always intended potentially to possibly have a third film? Yeah, I think it's a cliffhanger. Mm. I don't think it's a good cliffhanger. That's fair. That's <laughs> yeah, fair. I'd agree with that because uh, as we we will discuss a little later as well, there is the fact and or concept that given that we see so many sequels now coming out decades after the original film, mm. not that I ever think we'll really genuinely see a Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman, Hellboy 3. Not no. Ain't going to happen. But if we suddenly did, for however it would be possible, mm. that could resolve said thing. Would it elevate the cliffhanger because the resolve is there? That's, that's the thing that the resolution can elevate the cliffhanger but I think you can have a good cliffhanger without a resolution. Mm. Like mm. the the interesting thing with taking like Pirates Two Dead Man's Chest, for example, the literal like 
jumping into the mouth of the Kraken L.O. Beastie mm. moment. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Barbosa showing up, clomping down uh, the yeah, stairs. Exactly, yeah. being... You look like you need a captain or whatever he says at the end of it. Like, What's become of my ship? Yes, there we go. It's, it's all over TikTok at the minute. Oh, that sound is everywhere. I, ha I hate TikTok. Uh, it's like, oh, recreating. Uh, I come back off of two weeks of annual leave to see what's happening on the shop floor. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> Tell me what's become of my ship. It's like, ah, oh. it's this one again. Great. Um, but yeah, there's that element of it. For me, a good cliffhanger is does it make me want to watch the next one? Yeah. And regardless of resolution existing at this present time or whatever, like, does it make me want to watch it more than if, if the cliffhanger wasn't there, would I still be interested in the next film? Mm. So Hellboy is an interesting example there because fuck yes, I would have loved to have seen a Hellboy three yep. at the time. Probably not now. Let's not mm. get into that. No, no, no. We've already done sequels. We like to see. <laughs> we were done that yeah. a whole interseason ago. Go and listen to that. Yes. Um, but there's an element there of, does it, I guess like add to my intrigue and my interest of seeing the next one. If there wasn't that, Hellboy's gonna have babies with yeah. lids. Oh my god! Yeah, would I still be interested in Hellboy three? Yes, because I enjoyed Hellboy and I like mm. the world that that that, yes, that film yeah, is yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Dead Man's Chest is that film is it's a as we talked about many many years ago, season two I want to say or three. God damn. Yeah. Recorded in Tom Martin's living room when <laughs> if it's pirates, then yeah, series two, yeah. Yeah, series two when my laptop crashed halfway through and we had to re-record the first half of the episode all over again. Yeah, that was fun. a fucking nightmare. Yeah, that was a disaster. But it was yeah, fun. Maybe the most stressful recording we've ever had, despite it the episodes being quite short back then. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that film is so defined by that like it just stops now. And like you do not get any kind of resolution or any kind of, it's not, okay, everything's resolved, and then there's a, oh, and he's pregnant, or, oh, and the Kraken shows up at the end and mm -hmm. it's setting up the next movie. It builds to that thing and it's kind of cut in half. And that was a big issue I've had with Dead Man's Chest. And again, we talk about it many years ago. Yes. That it's half a film. Yes. In the same way that so many things that are filmed back to back, we talk about like the Matrix sequels. Mm -hmm. Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Hunger Games. Hobbit, mm -hmm. Hunger yeah. Games, exactly. They will have this like part one or part two element where it's like, oh, it's the Mockingjay part one or blah, 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 blah. Breaking Dawn. Breaking Dawn, exactly. Yeah, it's cut in half, basically, and split into two movies for basically no reason. Cha-ching. But that's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. But narratively and like structure-wise, there's no real reason to do that. And it, that counts as a cliffhanger, I guess, but it's, mm -hmm. the, it's the lazy kind we were talking about earlier to me. Like, okay. that yeah. works as a cliffhanger, but I'm like... I'm not more interested in seeing Pirates 3 because of that. I'm just like, okay, yeah, I guess I got half a movie. What, what, weird enough, I was watching RRR with my wife the other day, and um, uh, for those who don't know, uh, it's a Tollywood film, and uh, it's three hours long, mm. which is just just a little bit over a Batman. And um, so if you think of yourself, oh, Bollywood, Tollywood films, they're just, mm. they're just too unwatchable. It's like, did you watch the Batman? <laughs> Yeah, and it, you was watch too, and it was too fucking long, yes. <laughs> uh, fair. Did you watch the most recent Bond film? Then you can sit through this, shut the fuck up. Um, but also more too long. Yeah. But in, in the cinema, there was an intermission or an interval. Mm. Um, and you get to like an hour 40 and there's like a moment of like, the, the literally the, the, the cliffhanger is there. Mm. And in RRR, I'm waiting to bring it up, because it is a literal mid-film cliffhanger where 
these two characters, um, an assassination attempt has gone wrong, basically. They're holding on to each other over the course of a balcony, and he's, he's like a, a sacred rope, effectively. It's like a, it's like a thing around, around your neck. And one of them's holding the other one. He's staring him down. He, the other one realizes he's been caught. These two friends realize they're on opposite sides of this bowel. There's blood dripping down into a tear. Drips onto this other guy's hand and his face. It cuts back to this sort of very strange CGI version of the hands. One's made of ice, one's made of fire. And then it cuts to black and you're like, shit! And then the, the lights come up and it goes, right, you got like five minutes. Go get your drinks. Go piss. Like, oh God, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then it starts up again. That is the same thing. And it, by the way, it's an hour and 40 or an hour and a half and then another hour and yeah, a half. Yeah. It's, it's basically two mm. movies. So this is the same thing. The difference is you've got to pause. Yeah. That's a cliffhanger. A literal hanging over the edge yeah, of a balcony yeah. cliffhanger. The difference is it's in the middle of the movie and a lot of uh, Bollywood and Hollywood films, a lot of films from India have it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Because they're, and they're built with an intermission. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's structurally designed. Mm. Whereas in the West, uh, American and, and North European cinema, they'd cut that into two films mm. and that's where it would end. And we'd yeah. all say, that's a pretty good cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. To me, a, a good cliffhanger makes you like throw your arm, like it happens and you throw your arms up and go, I can't believe that's where they're leaving it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's obviously television does it a lot. I was about to say. All the time. Because uh, especially like genre TV, because with TV, you know, you're getting another episode. Um, you know, usually, usually, it's the one that ends on like like three seasons in. You go, oh, that was so good. Yeah, I, show me series four. There was no series yeah. four. So, what do you mean? It was cancelled. What do you mean it was cancelled? Films are the same thing, but obviously there's fewer of yeah. them. Mm. Easier to get something out of it as an experience because you've invested less into it in theory than the hours and hours you've mm. invested into a TV series. Yeah. Incidentally, just um, not that I expect you guys to do the same thing, but I think. Um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't old enough to see uh, Empire Strikes Back in the cinema. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Despite... Everybody's been waiting us for say those three yeah. words. Uh, people, I wasn't old enough for that one, so I can't comment in the you same way. You were only, what, 130 at that point? <laughs> I was in my slumber at that time. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yes. His, his was... torpor. Yeah. Yes, I was rejuvenating. Uh, what? Um, <laughs> but basically, had I seen that in the cinema, I imagine that would have been my ultimate cliffhanger moment. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe that yeah. was where they left it. Yeah. On such a downer. Yeah. What the fuck is going to happen next? So for me, weirdly enough, it's a very recent one oh. and probably a very collected experience. But for me, my most memorable, oh, that is fantastic. Mm. I can't believe they just finished it there. And that the general gut punch and you could feel the actual powerful shockwave pass through the audience, realizing that that was the end of the movie as this fun funereal music sort of plays over the top is Avengers Infinity yep. War. Yeah, agreed. A Just wonderfully yeah. executed yeah. cliffhanger. Yeah. So even powerfully arrogant. Even yeah. with all the hype and everyone being like, oh, it's going to finish on the snap. Like, it's Thanos, it's the gauntlet. It's probably we know, we know there's the next one coming. Yeah. It's going to finish on the snap. They're going to have this bold thing. And it doesn't. But it sort of does. But it doesn't. And you get that little bit oh extra that yeah. the Senate cuts off. Yes. Like, oh. yeah. yeah. You're totally right, Tim. That moment where you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> what happens next? I need to know that yeah. moment. And it was there. only a year. And we we're like, I can't do Because anyone yeah. now, anyone listening to this, or from literally from the second Endgame was from released. From the future. In the future. I remember saying this in my review, I think, the idea that, and I, I, I kind of keep trying to talk about this all the time when we talk about release things. And it's, it's very garbled when it comes out, but I'll, I will I will try. Things like this, these apprehensive moments of, oh my God, I wonder what the guys are going to cover next season on sequelizers. I wonder what the next season episode is mm. going to be. 
I wonder what the next MCU film is. I wonder what the next Star Wars film's like. Oh, how are they going to resolve this? It's only, it's, it's ephemeral. Mm. It only matters in the moment because I now have a catalog of all of it mm. up to this point, obviously. So I'm like, the, the, that, that, unless someone is actively telling you, uh, do you really want to see Lord of the Rings? I really do. I haven't seen the, the films. Fantastic. I'm going to watch one now. Oh my God, Fellowship is fantastic. Obviously with Boromir, oh my God. Oh, they're going to sail off? That's going to be, because that, that, previously that might have been my highlight one. But, yeah. Uh, Fellowship of the Rings. And then, after all that, somebody says, let's crack on the second one. I can mm. see it on your shelf. Let's go. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I had to wait a year. <laughs> I'll see you next year. It's like, why would you do that? And also you have access to it at a lot of other places. Why would you put yourself through that? It's, it's, a, it's a strangely in-the-moment experience. Mm. Tying it back into TV very briefly. I know we're a movie sure, podcast, sure. but I won't stay on this too long. Binge-watching is such a big thing at the moment. Obviously. Very good example. And I am of the opinion that weekly releases are better and mm. more engaging for me as a viewer. Um, we can I change the structure of the episode in order to make that work as well. Yes, yeah. So again, spinning off into comics as well and kind of tying these two together, the the shift in comics that happened over the last sort of decade or so, when I started covering it in like, as a reviewer and a critic and all that kind of stuff, and then a podcaster and blah, 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 blah. When I was really engaging with that medium, it kind of shifted over to the, and I've mentioned it before on the show, the writing for the trade method mm. that transformed how modern comics are now written. It used to be the Stanley style of every comic could be somebody's first comic, so you write it sure. as if... Syndicated you know, TV. It's the Fantastic Four. It's Marvel's mm. first family. Very much like the early sequel, uh, the early serials we were just talking about, where they introduced the characters, the blah blah blah, and then in the next episode, um, more adventures in space or whatever. Yeah. And it's like that's it. There's no through line. There's no like, it's issue five hundred, but you don't have to have read four hundred ninety nine previous issues. Now with kind of modern comics and where they are, and with the release of stuff on streaming with binge watching you get an entire half season of stranger things or an entire season of whatever netflix is releasing or whatever it is yeah, yeah. you get this oh you've written this as an entire season and the structure really tells that rather than a week to week thing we mentioned how common cliffhangers are in tv shows especially pre-streaming and pre-binge watching because yes you would do the cliffhanger every single week and the same was true for comics lost you would not know where they're going with it oh, yeah i, I i'm re-watching lost at the oh, moment oh. and i'm trying to give myself a gap between seasons wow to recreate not the full extent of that i'm not no, waiting but, uh, six months a super but song. i'm I'm, yeah. I'm going through a season pretty quickly and then i will stop and i'll be like okay two weeks and then i go back and watch the next yeah, season yeah and i think um again not to, not to spin off too much into been watching and stuff but like the way i consume media i don't have much free time because of sequelizers and work and other bullshit you know i can't pooping i tend mostly pooping i don't have the time to carve out an entire saturday to watch an entire season of a show these days eh, yeah, sure. i have done in the past mm. you know i will make certain exceptions sure but I have to make a very conscious decision to do that and plan ahead so that me and my wife don't have any plans. And I'm like, by the way, I'm going to watch all of Daredevil in one sitting mm -hmm. and I'm just going to sit here for nine hours. Mm -hmm. We're going to have some lunch in the middle and then watch the other half. Like, that's a really conscious decision for me these days. Whereas the way like Amazon are doing it at the moment, they release one or two episodes, sometimes three as like the season opener. Mm. And then they do weekly, which is 
Disney Plus very interesting. Same thing. Disney Plus are doing the same thing as well. Netflix is still in the binge watching thing ish. Again, they've done that half season thing with Stranger Things, mm. but I feel like it leaves not only the public consciousness, but like my thoughts much quicker than if you do it week to week to week. Like engaging in conversations because I'm active on social media and in communities like us talking about things mm. on podcasts and people I work with and stuff. Oh yeah, we're still talking about the boys or we're still talking about this or whatever. But like, do anybody remember that show on Netflix that was released all at once and then we all watched it? Like it was massive for like a week and then nobody has talked about things it. Stranger Things peaks where mm. it's like when it's released and about a month after and then it goes quiet for the rest of the year. Mm. Exactly, yeah. And similarly with films, we get this, like you said, we get the break there of like, you motherfuckers, you get it all now. You you could just watch Infinity War and Endgame back to back. You could just watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, if, if you're a maniac, in one sitting. <laughs> you could watch the Matrix trilogy, not the fourth one, in, in one mm-hmm. sitting. But we had to wait for that shit. And Similarly, did you watch Back to the Future quite close together? Um, I don't remember, actually. I have no Probably idea. Probably young enough that you wouldn't be able to really discern yeah, it very clearly. Yeah, I don't know. Because but but like, we, we all should point out, we're saying this like, oh, you fucking people. It's like, we are also the generation who said, oh yeah, I watch all three Star Wars oh, this, on the weekend. This is true for mm. every, every generation. Sub- subsequent yeah, absolutely, generation. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm trying to remember how they spaced out when they did the 1997 reissues, the special Star editions Wars. Oh, of the Star prequels. Wars. I think they were a couple of months apart. Yeah. It wasn't a long time, but it was the, long the, enough that it the felt The pre-prequel like, releases were yeah. like, yeah. we're going to release they these things. They weren't tripping over each other. Are people still interested? No, they, they, were, they were definitely separated out. I think it was, yeah. it was about a month, I think, if memory saves. It was like June, July, August. That sounds or about right. Or something like that. Um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. The the And I think even five, ten years ago, um, when you go back to like the early days of Netflix... You're, you're spot on, by the way, Tim. It was month by month by month. It was okay. January, February, March of oh, 1997. Oh. I don't remember I thought at the end of the year, but obviously it must have been yeah. advertised at Christmas and then... Yeah. Sorry, do you care? Um, you go back to the early days of Netflix doing their own content and streaming really taking off and something like Orange is the New Black coming out. And then it really worked for dominating the conversation because it was the big thing that they were promoting and it was pretty much the only... Th- like it. That was their... All their marketing budget went into that and... That was the big release for a while, and everything else that was on there, people had already seen. Yes, it, it, you know, it, it was it was older stuff. It was you know there wasn't, mm. but now when there's new new stuff that's going straight to streaming every week across very across multiple streaming services. Yeah, if you don't have that, it like it's much harder to capture everyone's attention simultaneously with and make sure that for. Because everybody, because well, I say everybody, the kind of people who will talk about stuff on Twitter, for example, yeah, the ones that move certain needles, yes, tend to be quite aware of spoilers, even if they don't necessarily care about them, they know other people care about them, yes. And so, if you drop all of Stranger Things at the same time, people are hesitant to talk about it because they don't know that everybody is watching at the same time they are. Because mm. some people are going to watch it all on the first day. Some people are going to space it out and watch an episode every day. Some people are going to space it out over the course of a month or something. Yes. Whereas with a week-to-week release, you know if people are watching it, 
they have watched that episode yep. and they are up to date. You know, it's like Game of Thrones when that was coming out. Yeah. yeah Everybody was yeah. talking about it because you knew once people had watched that episode, they were up to date. Whereas if they'd have dropped that all in one chunk, you've got, get you'd got people who are talking about episode yeah. one. Spoilers exactly where exactly. I want to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, so. the spoiler culture we're in at the moment have been for a while now yes, at this yes. point where you have these things, whether that's the MCU or fucking lost mm. or whatever it is like you have these big moments where characters might die or mm. things will change or it's all a dream or mm. purgatory or whatever the fuck like sure. mm. you have those moments and if you're i find when things are released on mass i have to avoid spoilers like hell because yeah. enough people do do that binge watching thing people watched all of stranger things way quicker than i did and they were like, oh my God, come, I cried at this scene. I'm like, da, 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 yeah. I have yeah. to avoid social media. And that's much easier for me, like when I watch wrestling or weekly releases or anything like that. Sports are good comparison. Sports mm. are good comparison. Because that's another ephemeral in the moment. You can avoid spoilers, go and watch the thing, and then come back to social media pretty quickly. Mm. Usually, assuming you can, you know, no, fit no, it in yeah, your schedule saying, and all that kind of thing. Like, I'm trying to avoid the latest, like, AEW pay-per-view results or whatever because mm. it starts at 1 o'clock in the morning here in the UK, so I'm nowhere mm. I'm watching it live. I'll watch it the following morning. That just means don't check Twitter, don't check Instagram, don't check YouTube until I've watched the thing. Sure. Mm. Which is easy to do, and then it's... You have to watch 12 hours of this thing, and you can't check any of your social media until then. It's like, uh, then how much do I value that spoiler? I mean, like, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. And the key thing is when you're doing that, you can't be doing someone else. It, it, weirdly enough, it's a PlayStation 3 thing. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, look at that. That's a sentence I wasn't expecting in our cliffhangers episode. Tune in next week to find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, no, what I mean is the PlayStation 3 was this really intense, really expensive console. And Sony was very arrogant thinking, look, motherfucker, we came in and Nintendo got wiped out by a curse of us and then PlayStation 2 became the highest selling thing of all time. Look at us, we're amazing. People will buy a PS3 and as Jack always points out, it will be an honor for you to get a second job. Yeah, buy a PS3. that's the line from the Japanese guys. We're like, it's crazy. that's a very Japanese mindset, Sony. Yeah, but they also had the thing like, it's a really complex core system of how to learn to program for it. So from the developer side of things... We have a unique cell process. That's what it is, yeah, cell process. The fuck is this? Yeah, so it, over time it was great and it did work very well, but it meant that initially people couldn't figure out how to use it. And the logic was, good. If they're trying to figure out how to use this system that we've worked on, they can't work for Microsoft or Nintendo. Yeah. Mm. They'll be so focused on trying to get their head around our system to sell on our console. except. That isn't what happened at all. So you end up with this idea of like monopolizing the market in the conversation. Like say, for example, oh, we're Netflix. We just dropped Stranger Things. And we know full well, everyone's going to want to watch it to stay ahead of the spoilers mm. and all the bullshit. So what you end up with is we'll just what we'll binge it. And in that time, you obviously cannot be checking the internet. You cannot be looking for certain trending things. You cannot be doing anything other than what these companies want. You consuming their media. Yeah. Now, I know we've reared very heavily on mm. TV. But film operates in a very similar yeah. way these days because of mm. franchises. And and to circle back round to cliffhangers, often do, Tim, it's the topic of the episode. Yeah, after all. you know. Sorry for the tangent. Um, cliffhangers become that thing that people want to discuss when they come out of the cinema because it's, yeah. it's the moment you've left on, mm -hmm. and it's often the shocking thing. Yep. You're like, what does it mean that that um, Neo 
shocked the sentinels in real life like does that mean that that's the matrix as well like smith is in that mean? body he's yeah. in the real world now what does this mean yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and obviously that's full of spoilers because it's 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 the thing that you're not expecting yeah that it leaves you on and so then you can't you know you you then struggle you know it's the simpsons joke of like Homer walking out of the cinema, having seen Empire Strikes Back, oh, and going like, "I can't believe Darth, Darth Vader, Vader was his dad." Oh, yeah. it, there's a really, it's it's so arbitrary, but I will share this with you. I may have said it before. I go to the Odeon in Norwich a lot, and I I really need to say that again. I go to the Odeon in Norwich a lot. Now that now <laughs> that things restrictions have lifted and stuff. You're back. I went a lot before the restrictions. You went, <laughs> you went a lot during the restrictions. Most you, humans. You went more during the pandemic than I do in a typical year. That's absolutely yeah. accurate. Yeah. yeah. So um, I also support other things like Cinema City and Norwich, which is a great yeah, independent yeah. place, etc. But the point I'm trying to get to you have is a film quiz there, for example. I do. Uh, the point I'm trying to get to is that um, I'm there frequently, and. To the point well, where they just kind of wave you. Oh, it's that guy. kind of like, oh, that guy's here. That's the big ball guy. Yeah, yeah we'll wave him in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but um, I will say to people who are with me, usually my wife or myself, I'll not until I get past the billboard outside the Pizza Hut. We're not saying a fuck, we're not saying a word about this film. I like the idea that that, that would become a phrase. That's like, I say it so much. And not got, past the billboard on the pizza hut. Yeah. So what you do is you leave the cinema, you walk past the, the sort of uh, the 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 open square area with all the restaurants around it. You turn right and you go another just halfway towards the, the car park. The proverbial pizza hut. If you the will. pizza hut. But by that point, people are going to and from the cinema. There's enough din. I can speak quietly in hushed tones about. Okay, so... I love the idea that you're saying this to yourself. Absolutely. You just go off into a corner of a car park and just start muttering like... Conspiracy theory. Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Unbelievable. I can't believe this. What is the force? Do we even know? Yeah. Are they dead? Are they alive? <laughs> Who am I talking to? It's all part of it. Um, but yeah, I, so I, because I, I, ref, I... My friend was going in to see Force Awakens and immediately <laughs> as uh, he was queuing up, this li- and this is the thing. If it's an adult, you have the full right to punch them square in the mouth <laughs> unless they have some sort of uh, disability or <laughs> like, you know, the idea that they can't actually process they have no filter and they're just really, really excited. You can like, punch someone unless they're disabled. And anyone else you go punch them out being an piece of shit. I've heard that before. I'm like, you are an absolute dickhead. But a little boy who was so excited what he just saw, oh, I can't believe Han Solo died. And everyone in the queue went, Oh, <laughs> and they're like, I can't be angry because he's just a kid. He doesn't know any better. I'd, I'd have punched that parents kid. Just, parents in the just mouth. said, Shh. People might, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shh. It's too fucking late now. Mm. But point I'd is, I'd have punched that kid square yeah, in the mouth. Yeah, you would have pelted him into the river. Yeah. I keep my earphones in sometimes if it's a big event. But <laughs> the point is that I don't want to be that person who ruins that experience. And now, mm. to be fair, the, the, in high school, the classic thing to run around and tell people was, uh, oh, by the way, if you've seen Sixth Sense, Sixth Sense is really good. Have you seen it? Didn't matter what you were going to say. Yes or no? Someone's waiting to say, Bruce Willis is a ghost. <laughs> that's not a cliffhanger. That's a spoiler. But what I'm trying to say is that that's another example of not a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, that people think, oh, that's a cliffhanger. It's like, what? Yeah. No, it isn't. <laughs> that's a it's completely resolved. Yeah, it's resolved. Um, but yes, cliffhangers, as, as Tim said, you have that uh, rising excitement. It's the conversation, the what if, the possibility. And from a marketing point of view, from a story writer view, is the same thing as the serials are doing, where you're trying to generate that interest, that intrigue, that hunger, mm. so you can watch more. And it goes back to those very classic things, because so many of them are like, how are they going to get out of this? Absolutely. How are they? 
oh, those Duke boys done fucked up this time. How are they going to get out of this one? Yep. The thing is, though, what you end up doing in a really irrational, but the filmmakers know this kind of way, is there must be, and this is why Tim was right, by the way, with the idea of the run-up to that point, there must be a clue in the film. Yeah. Mm. I better go back and watch it again. Yeah. I didn't see it. Better get it on Blu-ray just in case. <laughs> that will be the clue to what I missed. Better, yeah. better read all these listicles on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a prequel comic. There must be something in that <laughs> one as well. Um, we we've mostly touched on cliffhangers that that have resolved. Yes. So far, let's let's talk about a few of the films that have set up for a cliffhanger. Gone nowhere. And gone right. nowhere. Because uh, there there are quite a few out yeah. there. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's stop some. They mostly, like we said, you know, if if you're if you're doing a cliffhanger that's actually integral to the plot it's probably because you know you're getting a second one mm. so a lot of these tend to be the weaker like the story's resolved but oh we're gonna leave it open but then there's you yeah. occasionally get a few you know it would it, along the lines of if june had come out and then not done well enough to get a, to get a sequel where you are just like I've got a wow, question. Wow, that about just that. feels like half a film. Because I think we're well out of the territory of this being a spoiler, so hopefully it shouldn't be too bad. Um, I was thinking about this recently. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, yeah. mm, technically, doesn't have a direct cliffhanger. No. But it has a no. franchise setup sort it of stuff. It has its final shot in its trailer. Yeah, it does have that. <laughs> Terrible fucking But it's, it's yeah. the Sinister Six stuff it's yeah it's, you have the post credits of the man in the shadows whatever the hell he's called yeah they keep referring to like yeah, yeah it's got all sure. the fucking the doc ock arms and stuff yeah it's got yes. the vulture wings it's, and stuff in the it's got the 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 basement full of franchise yeah seats exactly it's a franchise setter upper so yeah. first the question i guess that's not a cliffhanger really is it what is it no it's kind of it's like the mutated offshoot of a cliffhanger yeah um and also just to, just to, to hopefully offset anything else there. That's also not resolved in No Way Home, right? At all. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. So it's not. Also, it's kind of, it might or might not be a cliffhanger. And if it is, it definitely isn't resolved just because yeah, somebody yeah. came back. So they have a phrase for this on the Weekly Planet podcast. <gasps> they talk about comic books and movies and stuff. Sure. Highly recommend it. It's a bunch of Aussies being offensive about movies and classic. Stuff. Of course. If you've heard of us, you've probably heard of them. They're way bigger than us. I don't know why I'm recommending a podcast with millions of listeners. Sponsored by. Exactly, yeah. Um, they have the phrase, the game is afoot, which is a, did it try and set up a franchise in the in the middle or towards the end of this film? Mm. And they're basically like, for one of a phrase, dock points from it of like, okay, yeah, I mean, it was, it was good, but was this a game as a foot movie? And they're like, yeah, it was. Yeah. The fucking Sherlock movies, like mm. always setting up the next one. Or every, franchise. Single, um, every single fucking Resident Evil movie has got one of those moments. Exactly, that, that is yeah. the perfect serial version where the next one starts and it's like, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the zombies escaped and they're super smart now, but don't worry about that. We're in a different city with different characters. You're like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> my, my name is Alice. Exactly. Yeah. My name is Alice and I'm a zombie sort of fucking chronicles thing. of riddick yeah Anybody? yeah exactly so yeah i that is a fucking annoying trait where they set up a thing in the middle of the movie and there isn't even a cliffhanger it's like look at all the potential spider-man villains anyway here's rhino again you're like wait what yeah, <laughs> is yeah. that is that what you want to leave us okay fine i mean one that that does a similar thing 
and I but I think this one also has a cliff. I have not seen the film, so I'm just aware of it. Uh-huh. Is the 2017 Tom Cruise Mummy? Oh, oh my god, god yeah. which has a chunk in the middle where Russell Crowe shows uh-huh. up and is like, "Hello, I'm I'm Doctor Jekyll." Yeah, there's this. There's all these kind of monsters out. There's a whole dark universe there's that a you're whole, not aware of. There's an initiative. The event. I mean, yeah, the yeah. Um, uh, uh, bunch uh, of boys. Univ. Univ. Uh, bunch of lads. Yeah, uh, an extraordinary group of bunch of. Lads, Shit. that's the most Irish fucking <laughs> dark universe yeah. version. Yeah. There's a bunch of lads out there. Yeah. Can't say the word like initiative. Can't say like an extraordinary Ensemble. league. Yes, um, it's uh, it's a bunch of lads. It's a yeah, cluster of dicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And yes, the, the, it does, it does it have him. a cliffhanger ending as well because mm. Tom Cruise. Spoiler alert! Oh fuck! Yeah, sorry, he's, everybody. He's alive or whatever. Well, he's like, he's like, wake up, wake up, wake up! And he has like a monster face, like it's Morbin time. Um, <laughs> and that, that's another one that has it. Fucking, we'll talk about Morbius in a second. Ugh. And then he appears in the desert uh, with like a shroud over his face, and he's like off on his next adventure to to hunt down another amazing monster. Right? Yeah. Never to be seen again. A universal yeah. journey or whatever. Because I yeah. mean that. The Dark Universe also had Dracula Untold, uh-huh. which has a cliff. It has uh-huh. a real game is a foot. Yeah, that it really does. Literally, yes. yeah, because yeah. yeah. it's Charles Dance yes. being like, ah, I'm still alive. Now everything is still in motion. Yes. Arr, arr, arr. Now yeah. the game is a foot. Yeah, exactly. I think again, it's this modern era of franchises we get stuck in with shit like Dracula Untold and the Mummy and all this stuff. Where they're like, yeah, we'll get a franchise. It'll be fine. I mean, they didn't make any money, but we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be. Don't worry about it. Fucking, we'll, we'll just presume we'll get like two to th- six more movies, and then we'll just we'll just work from there. It's like, okay, that massively bombed and is terrible. Like, but I mean, we we just make a different one. Like, yes, yeah. You're gonna tie them together. If they make money, they don't make money. So okay, what's your plan now? Uh. Morbius? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and it ties into the MCU? No. But yes. And Venom? No. Well, yes, but no. But yes, but no. Also, not the MCU, but yes, the MCU. Oh, don't, don't, <laughs> fucking, don't. The fucking post-credits scene, we have not talked about Morbius on this show. Thank God. I'm going to briefly touch on it. Because at it's the true. moment it's unresolved... I mean, they released it a second time and it bombed a second time. So I can't imagine it. we're going to get an extensive Morbius franchise. He might show up in some Sinister I, Six bollocks or something. I mean, they, they think it's a cliffhanger. They keep Wait, trying. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, they keep trying to do these fucking Spider-Man films without Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. And Can't wait for Craven, right, boys? Yeah, yeah. who's no longer uh, he's not a hunter. hunter. He's, he's a conservationist. <laughs> yeah, Craven, the conservationist, oh, is not as cool. Godzilla, Craven's last stuff. conservation is not as cool. Yeah, no, yeah. but they're the real warriors. They're so the real villains, right, guys? People trying to stop big companies. From doing well, I think, I think mm. they realised they, oh, they, he can't be a big game hunter and also the protagonist because big game hunters are dicks. Absolutely. Almost um, like he shouldn't be the fucking protagonist yeah, of a movie. Almost yeah. like he's an antagonist. He, he should be oh. Van Pelt from Jumanji. Yes, it's exactly. like literally that. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, this is an interesting thing. I think I'm going to say this before we move on to back to what Tim was saying about uh, uh, the unresolved because I think there's a slight difference between a cliffhanger and a franchise setup. 
Mm. Um, because yeah, they're not one and the same thing. No, no. yeah, they can be. They can be on occasion, but not exactly the same. Yeah, but unresolved. um, We're gonna rattle through some titles now because I think this is gonna be one of those things. Whip them out for us, man. So far, thus far to date, uh, Alita: Battle Angel. Oh Mm. yeah. I don't care. That's a film yeah. and everyone, that's, everyone that's, forgot about. That's a proper cliffhanger. Yeah. That is, fucking we went into this. There's big questions left unresolved. Yeah. It's it's unwatchable without... Well, that's not true. You can enjoy if you... You could have just left sure. it It's unwatchable. Yeah. yeah. You could enjoy the experience probably. Um, but if you want to enjoy a holistic experience where everything is mm. there, it's almost impossible because it's, mm. it's, it's, it's open-ended. And yes, it has a first, second, a third act but it's still so unresolved that, and not like, a, oh, well, I mean, really nerds care about this lore detail mm. or, oh, how does it end at the end of the thing? Mm. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. Yeah. I don't mean that at all. I mean, this is very much a, what if Infinity War stopped. came out and then you didn't yes. get Endgame kind of thing. Absolutely. And you end up with the idea that, I mean, okay, put it this way. At the very end of Alita Battle Angel, by the way, amazing OVA, really cool comic, meh film. Um, you are only introduced to the real antagonist in the last minute, and it's Ed Norton. You go, oh shit, yeah, shit, and she raises her sword up to the sky, fucking city where they're all mm. living, and it cuts to black, <laughs> and you're like, well, no, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and I mentioned- swear, vengeance. That will never happen. Nope, like, nope, right? nope, that's nothing. So in other words, for a, for a modern audience, it's a question of saying like, oh, shall I watch Battle Angel Alita? It's like, or shall I introduce it to somebody? What's the point? Mm. <laughs> it becomes futile because it's yeah. the whole thing is, I mean, yeah, you've bits and cool moments and things, but ultimately mm. it goes nowhere. Well, I'm, I have no answers. And someone usually produces like a comic or a document yeah, or something. Yeah. But yeah. So we mentioned like uh, The Mummy and Dracula Untold and Super Mario Brothers. Um, one I'm grateful for the fact that it didn't go anywhere is Green Lantern. <laughs> um, says the man with, and I've done this before on the show, it was like more than a dozen Green Lanterns in this room, I believe. You're yeah. lit- you literally ha- are wearing a Green Lantern ring as we speak. Yeah. yeah. I culled them back a little bit, so I'm upstairs now. Okay. There's still like 15 in this room. Um, <laughs> yeah, still- almost, almost as many as there are Assassin's Creed. Yes. Mm. There's a lot of Assassins. things I like. Um, but basically... Uh, what all that? Matt likes things. <laughs> Matt does like things. Matt doesn't like having money in his pocket for some reason. Matt, Matt doesn't like Martin Campbell's Green Lantern. I do not. Few people but do. I own it on Blu-ray. Um, the point is that... Uh, you're a massive. I, I don't know why I own it on Blu-ray. That was, that was sent to me as a review copy, if I remember correctly. Um... Either, either way, I, um, it, it ends in the sort of like, oh, the superhero will ride again, yada, yada, mm. but it oh, also sets up Sinestro. the entire Sinestro core It sets up war. Sinestro, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, the most frustrating thing about that was that Mark Strong was a fantastic Sinestro. It might be the best thing about that film. He's probably the only good thing yes. about that film. Yeah. Um, and it's remarkable. Oh, and the other thing I think that Blake Lively and uh, Ryan Reynolds met on that set and they seem to be like a good couple. Yeah. That's the only thing that sure, came yeah. out that was good. Yeah. Um, if only the chemistry showed up on screen. Ugh. Yes. Oh, and then obviously because Green Lantern was resu- uh, w- went the way it went, we got Deadpool. And yeah. at the same time, if the Green Lantern film had gone better, we wouldn't have had Man of Steel. Yeah. That's a weird thing to think. Yeah. This would have been the start of the DCEU. Yeah. And that was set the tone as this. Weird, isn't it? I would sacrifice Deadpool so we don't have Man of Steel and Zack Snyder's I DCU. actually agree. I'd, I'd be fine with that. 
Deadpool's yeah. fine. I like both of those movies. Whatever. If mm. Green Lantern worked and was the start of this universe, you're like, fuck yes. But if it mm. stopped anyway. the DCEU as we know it. Because mm. again, it had a bit mm. of a, a Marvel kind of feel to it. Mostly. Well, it, it's it's so close to being Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Because it came out what a couple of years, years, years after. I remember being at Kapow, it was 2008 to 2011. It was so. Thor and Green Lantern being yep. yeah, at the same, same thing. Year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was about the very early yeah. stages. Yeah, it set them back basically. But the point is that was another cliffhanger, which is like it's going nowhere. It doesn't. It doesn't kill the need to watch the film. But mm. the film being Green Lantern stops the need from seeing. I was going to say it's existent and kills your need yeah. to watch that mm. film. Um. Another big one for me is is the Predator, mm-hmm. with its we're going to go to space in oh, this fucking yeah. suit in this terrible out. looking yeah. Christ. Oh, uh, another prime example, another sequelizer mm-hmm. classic, Uh-oh. Independence Day resurgence. resurgence. Yeah. yeah, this fucking orb turns up like we're going to go in space. It's like no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever seen the other side of this again. I hope you enjoy Moonfall. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, I mean, other things that set up franchises didn't go anywhere. Mm. Things like the Golden Compass and lots of other, like yeah. the Seeker, oh, yeah. like other bits of young yeah. adult uh, fiction. That's like here's one of them. The post, yeah, the post well. Harry, Bo- Harry Potter. We're everybody, every studio is trying to find yes. a, a YA book to adapt. Yeah. And, yes, God, I, yeah. I don't miss that. Spiderwick Chronicles, and yeah. Maze yeah. Runner, all that kind of shit. Yeah. What was that terrible one that uh, Kenneth Branagh did recently on? Um, not the mortal. Oh, Artemis, Artemis Fowl. Fowl. Artemis yeah. Fowl. That was fucking awful. Was I love the Artemis Fowl book when I was a kid. But it's a great me. idea for mm. a film. Terrible yeah. ass film. Yeah. 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 Good Christ. So there are lots of ones that are out there that have just been unresolved, left these cliffhangers that literally, by definition, are exciting because you want to see the next part of it. As I mentioned about the Super Mario Brothers, like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, well, what could it be? Mm. What could be the thing that's happening? I'm, I mean, Mario believes it. I guess I believe it too. What is it? Turns out it's fuck all because I know what they're writing. Yep. Um, but yeah, sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just mm. go, oh, well, never mind. I would say one that is unresolved and is very much a throwaway, like sort of just basically going like a sequel maybe, Yeah. that I do actually like is Deep Rising. Uh, see, Tim, you and I like Deep Rising. We do, we do. We're, we're, some, we're some Deep deep Rising shells. Yeah. <laughs> We're, so, we're real deep heads. <laughs> we rise in that deep head. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, if it had been successful, was going to become a King Kong reboot. Where it turns... Yep. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, which is most people. <laughs> including uh, me. It's, Hello, uh, it's a Stephen Summers. It's it, just before The Mummy, I yeah, believe. Yeah, he did The Mummy instead it's, of doing a King Kong film. Yeah, it's 98. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, a a monster movie set on a cruise ship where these sort of kraken giant squid worm things, things yeah come up and and uh, take over while essentially while a diehard on a cruise ship is happening um yes and it ends with the cruise ship being wrecked and the 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 protagonist and i think a couple of other survivors wash up on this beach um and then throughout it, the protagonist, who's played by Treat Williams, fucking Treat Williams, yeah, brilliant, uh, is is always going. Now what? Yeah, like you know, kind oh, of. Now it's, what? It's become becomes his little catchphrase. Yes, and they wash up on this beach, and they're finally safe from the monsters. And then you, it's on this tropical island, and then you just hear these like monster noises from the island, and I think some yeah. trees shake and stuff like that. And it just ends with him going, "Now what?" Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's something, yeah, I know what you mean exactly with that one. And yeah. that, that's the kind of thing that would have been really interesting to see. In the same way that I think we are getting a Cabin in the Woods sequel, possibly. Mm, I was talking about it the other week. I don't think it's... 
That's happening. so entire. I mean, the, the the end of that film is the world ends. That's, yeah. yeah, that's not a cliffhanger for me. No. That's yeah, no, the that, end. That's, yeah, the definition of resolving it is yeah, yeah. you're all fucked. Ancient gods are woken up, and yeah. the I don't end of the see world. them in an, in an. In fact, if they are living in an environment where it's like, oh, we we somehow ch- chiseled out a way to survive, like it's Oblivion starring Tom Cruise, you're like, mm. no, 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 I don't know. This is the end film where they're all just trying to survive the end of the world. That's fine because they end up in heaven. Sure. Yeah. Spoilers. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, we should uh, we should sorry stop, stop talking about cliffhangers of of your. And talk about cliffhangers of ow, ow, yeah, <laughs> love it. And by I mean, I'm very tired. That wordplay shouldn't have worked, and didn't. Um, yes, no, yeah, our own cliffhangers. And um, to to give a bit of context before we go into this, this is all uh, the executive producer Jonathan Firth Clark wanted us to talk about. <laughs> this cliffhanger thing we just had a conversation about for the last hour or so. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, that wasn't what that he was asked. Us yeah. Turning it into that, an episode. Yes, Jonathan Clark is sitting there going, "When are they getting to the fireworks factory?" <laughs> yeah, get to the bit I asked for. I want to know how it ended. Now, I know John's favorite bit of the episodes are the pitches, which I find fascinating. Some people don't like the pitches. As some much. some people couldn't give a shit about the pitches. Yeah, fair. And care more about just us talking about movies and stuff like that. We like to appeal to everybody. Yeah, we try, and that's why we have the two halves, right? That's why we yeah used to cut some, it in something half to piss really off everyone. Way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We used to literally cut the episodes in half and have it like discussion in one week and then pitch in the second week. There were a lot of bad times. Mad. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think this is, as you said, entirely due to Jonathan, but we just added an extra first half on there as yes, well. Yes. And therefore, um, those people are going, oh, hang on, do I have to listen three additional episodes to get to this one if this is my first episode? The answer is kind of yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go back and listen, folks. But we have got enough to cover you, but we'll get to that. We'll signpost it. We'll give you some synopses and some details and stuff. We will. We will. In a moment. Jack, j- watch out for that cliff. Oh, ah. how how will we how will we get Jack? Tune in in a couple of seconds. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you are stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Uh, I've used HelloFresh in the past. Uh, my parents were using it at one point. Um, you know, I'm to cook, time to cook meals is a reality for many of us. Uh, and giving you the exact ingredients is one of the best ways to spend expand your taste horizons. So I genuinely support the service. And if you go to the link in our show notes, you can get 50% off your first box and then 35% off your next three boxes. That's the link in the show notes for 50% off your first box, then 35% off your next three boxes. HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. We are also sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience because if you head to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you can get a month free and an audiobook on us. Um, I'm going to recommend, it's only like an hour and a bit, hour and 15 minutes, maybe, uh, Cliffhanger by Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> it's the story about a kid named Tim who goes on an adventure holiday and hates it. Oh, <laughs> just like real Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hate adventures. <laughs> As we learned in the Goonies. The episode. Goonies episode, the same thing, yeah. 
Uh, so get on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and audiobook on us. Audible. Ooh. <laughs> A little bit, little bit of Futurama. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Right, so I'm going to go back, all the way back, to season 10, episode one. Jack, how did you get off that cliff? Uh, I, I climbed up. Shit. There was up, a rope. Up, was a rope. Yeah. Upper body strength, baby. Brilliant. That's, that's all it needs. Don't anyone write in about that. Despite my large upper body. <laughs> he got up fine. Everything's fine. As I said, I'm going all the way back to... Like a few weeks ago, it feels like, but also a few years at the same time. Yeah. The previous season, so like 12 weeks ago, give or take, to season 10, episode one, where I did my Star Trek Into Darkness fix, which is a sequel, of course, to the Star Trek 2009 movie, and didn't set up beyond it, set up another thing that Mm. doesn't exist, hence why JFC himself, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) AKA Jonathan Firth Clark, our executive producer, stepped in and was like, I hate cliffhangers. F- fucking finish your pitches. And I was like, well, that's not the point. Especially considering you described the ending of it in the show. I did, yeah. <laughs> I, des- I described it in the show very roughly because you both said, like, oh, which is what we well, usually do. This. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you have a plan for a third one? I was like, yeah, roughly, give or take. I've got a couple of bullet points, whatever. And then John asked again on the Discord. So I did it again and bullet pointed it there again. So here I am for the third time, (laughs) (laughs) essentially bullet pointing me. So yeah, if you haven't already had that episode, it is recent. Like I said, go back and listen to season 10, episode one, which is the Star Trek Into Darkness episode. You can hear my pitch, which is known as Star Trek Seed of Destruction, not a Hellboy crossover as much as I tried to make it a Hellboy crossover. (laughs) Hellboy has a baby in it. Exactly. I'll give you a very, very, very brief rundown of... The first movie, so the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, then my Seed of Destruction pitch, and then I'll dive into kind of the things I imagined for the third movie. So in Star Trek 2009, if you haven't seen it, we meet the new Enterprise crew, it's all recast, fantastic cast, great music, all that kind of stuff. We meet Nero, who's a rogue Romulan, he's from the future, he kills Kirk's dad, it's nonsense. Uh, He's also chasing Spock. From the future, the original Spock, which is Leonard Nimoy, it's unnecessarily complicated, but still kind of works. He blows up Vulcan with, well, implodes Vulcan with some red matter stuff that is like basically creates a black hole in the middle of the planet. Mm -hmm. It looks very cool. It looks very cool. Uh, The Enterprise chases him about a bit and eventually catches up with the help of Spock. Some strange coincidences happen where they all happen to bump into each other (laughs) at the right moments and happen to be on the right planet at the right time and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And eventually they end up battling Nero above Earth for some reason. I'm (laughs) I'm talking a lot of shit. I think this movie's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's nonsense, but it's blockbuster fun. Um... It's a and, it's a real roller coaster ride. It, it is. It's yeah. not it is. at all like classic Trek, which was quite slow and contemplative yes. a lot of times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go back and watch as as we talk about like Space Seed that sets up Wrath of Khan. Like, whew, that's a fucking ride. That's slow as hell. Um. Anyway, they fight Nero's ship. He gets destroyed by his own red matter because they disabled some of his systems and all this kind of stuff. Blah 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 blah. blah. They defeat him. Spock from the future is still in the current timeline. He tells them some stories and stuff, but refuses to get involved because he doesn't want to drop the timeline, which lasts about 10 minutes. Uh, and they all live happily ever after. 
Kirk gets promoted to permanent captain of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, his boss, Pike, gets promoted to admiral. All that kind of stuff. And basically sets up like the ongoing adventures of the Starship Enterprise, which mm. is not quite a cliffhanger, but it's a the game is afoot setting up the next It's an yeah. open-ended thing, yeah, yeah. On to not Star Trek Into Darkness, but my version, as I mentioned, which is Star Trek Seed of Destruction. So going from 2009 to 2014 now, uh, the Enterprise intercepts a distress call from a very old ship full of comatose humans from the 21st century. This is stealing the stuff from, as I mentioned, Space Seed from the original series. Mm. This is setting up Khan or Commander Singh, as I called mm -hmm. him in my pitch, because it was a twist no one saw coming <laughs> 32 years after the original film came out. Uh, one of the 21st century men, as I mentioned, is Khan. He's revived. He's very charming. He integrates with the crew, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's like, he's great. He's just super strong and super intelligent and reading novels while doing one-handed push-ups and all the kind <laughs> of like super ubermensch mm. stuff mm -hmm. that he does. Um, they go and try and save an outpost, like a Starfleet outpost that has been attacked recently. Turns out it's a trap. They get kind of roped into this battle for their ship because the Enterprise gets disabled and they hear this, Kling the Klingons tell them like, oh, you have to defeat this enemy on this planet. Send five of your best men to fight five of their best men. Whoever loses will get destroyed. Like Gladiator stuff, which ties into another, <laughs> which is where I stole mm -hmm. this from, which is the Gorn episode from the original mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. um, tying into uh, Arena, I think it's called, isn't yeah. it? The original yes, episode. Yes, yes. Um, so it's a mashup of Space Seed and Arena, basically. Khan is part of that crew because he's proven himself to be super cool, super strong, and combat capable and all that kind of stuff, and kind of charmed Kirk a little bit. Khan betrays everybody, leaves, wounds Kirk, leaves him for dead, uh, even kills some of the Gorn and betrays them as well, kidnaps Spock, escapes back to the Enterprise, and flies away, leaving Kirk stranded and wounded on the planet with some giant lizard men, and he does Khan kind of thing. That's a cliffhanger. That's a cliffhanger, exactly. That's where I left it, and that's why Jonathan was so annoyed. He'll be even more me. annoyed, because that's the end of the episode. Bye, everybody. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with, <laughs> with the pictures. <laughs> yeah. But what I briefly touched on in the episode, and like I said, I've kind of discussed on, a, on Discord and a couple of other times, my plan was to then have Kirk teaming up with the remaining Gorn, kind of enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of vibes yes. they've all been betrayed by khan they've had both had crewmates killed by khan all this kind of stuff um kirk was kind of slowly learning which is the message of arena that they don't really do very well but kind of touch on is like don't judge them just because they're giant lizard men they mm -hmm. are actually war a warp capable species which they just kind of don't really touch on in the original series yeah um they become allies. He's able to look past them being giant, terrifying lizard men. Uh, Khan fully takes over the Enterprise and basically kills any crew who disobey him. He is ruling with an iron fist, all that kind of stuff. He goes back to his old ship to revive his old crew. Blah, blah, blah. All the kind of stuff you'd expect from Khan. He then, uh, in that process, Bones basically refuses to wake up the crew. Oh. And... This is the bit I'm not sure about, and I kind of want to do a little bit of workshopping with you as we, okay, as, okay. As we do sure. on sequelizers. Uh, he would try and convince Bones to, because of like, you know, the only doctor around who can actually do this sort of thing is going to be Bones. Mm -hmm. Plot device, whatever. Um, <laughs> and 
he would either like maybe cripple Spock or kill Spock or something like one of the main characters. Mm. I don't want to do the whole killing Spock thing again necessarily. That's why mm. I'm hesitant to say like he just kills Spock. Yes. But the way he convinces Bones is basically he murders or mortally wounds or cripples one of the main characters basically. Mm. Do they have to be crippled specifically? No, no, not at all. Because I think all. the threat in... Um, I actually think the threat in Into Darkness actually works quite well here, uh, which is a different one, of I will shut off the life support system and I'll walk over everybody's cold corpses. I only need yeah. you alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the threat of it, and and Bones knowing this guy will do it. Yeah. You, I don't works. think you actually need to have the full follow-through with mm. something lasting yeah. impact-wise. I think the threat would be realistic enough, but that's that's my opinion. Or you do an- another nod to Wrath of, Khan, Wrath of Khan and you bring back the worm things. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Seti Alpha yeah. 5 shit. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 He does something horrible, mm-hmm. terrifying, that mm-hmm. convinces Bones. They wake up the crew and he basically takes over the Enterprise with his crew of super people, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> super powerful people from the 1990s. A minor from 2077, thank you, Tim. <laughs> they're from our future, but their past. Yeah, of course, of course. Not the World War Three of the 90s, the <laughs> eugenics wars that yeah. may or may not have happened in real life. We'll may never know. Be coming. <laughs> I might be predicting this in 50 yeah. years' time, like, yeah. oh, God, I regret writing that when I'm in my 80s and the yeah, eugenics wars like. actually happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Kirk, in the meantime, is able to contact Starfleet and kind of not quite negotiate a treaty between the Gorn, but they realize they have a unified front there. Obviously, mm. Khan has killed Starfleet members, so declaration of war, all that kind of stuff. Mutual interests. Exactly. Um, he chucks... He's been kind of, like, convincing... I mean, we touched on some things with the Klingons and some political intrigue and stuff mm. as, as kind of the additions we'd have made uh, to my pitch. So he kind of chucks all of the Enterprise crew off on Kronos and just like strikes a deal with the Klingons of like, I won't fuck with you if you don't fuck with me. Here's a bunch of Starfleet officers to deal with what you want kind of thing yeah. as like bounty, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually it will culminate in, and this is kind of what I touched on the episode, Kirk, the Gorn, and some like Starfleet reinforcements battling Khan in the Enterprise and some Klingons who are then, like, teaming up with him against them. Mm. Big space battle. You'd get some teleporting between ships and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And Kirk finally facing Khan one-on-one, like in Space Seed, but not shit, uh, where he slow-mo punches him and he does yeah. that 80s axe handle thing that <laughs> wrestlers do and yeah. William Shatner does in every fucking fight yeah. scene that I hate. Double fist punch! The double fist punch is the worst. Um, but yeah, double fist. It's got to be double power. That's yeah. how it works. Twice right? the punch. Fucking. <laughs> he does it in arena as well. And it drives me nuts. It's like yeah. he's doing it through treacle. Um, yes, big space battle, big thing. Blah blah blah. Eventually, Khan is defeated, and the Enterprise is then like probably mostly destroyed and stuff like that, as it always is. Mm-hmm. We don't go back to Earth. There's no fucking need to go back to Earth because they keep doing that. No, it's a big space battle somewhere out in space with. Teleporting between uh, mm-hmm. transporters and stuff. It's a big yeah. Star Trek, the stakes, Star Wars style multi-level <laughs> battle stuff. That you don't have to go back to Earth for stakes. The stakes should be you like the crew and you don't want to see them get injured. You like the ship, yep. you like the crew, yep. all that kind of stuff. That's the home. It's your home. Big Star Trek battle. Eventually, Khan is defeated. 
I quite like the idea of them having to destroy the Enterprise and Kirk has to like completely destroy his baby essentially to finally defeat Khan and that's mm. kind of the sacrifice he makes. It's the search mm. for Spock. My God, what have I done? Mm. Exactly, yeah. Having that moment, so it did, again, I don't really want to retread the whole Kirk or Spock gets killed bollocks. Mm. Having them sacrifice the ship, which Kirk has worked so hard for and blah, 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 and all that symbol, kind of stuff. It's, enough, mm. yeah. it's symbolism kind of thing. That's how he defeats Khan because he cannot beat him one-on-one mm. and re- resolves that way, basically. Mm. And then... Mm-hmm. I guess they go off on their five-year mission that then would set up the kind of oh, we have the Enterprise series. A. Mm. Yes, exactly. You'd get cool. setting up with the Enterprise A and then off yeah. they go in their adventures. Sweet. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That would be how I would do it. So it's not necessarily ending on a cliffhanger, but ending on a like, and more Star it's Trek Star happens. Trek. Because it's never going to be... And, that's and I how think every Star Trek yeah, film ends. The, the, the part of the point of Star Trek is that they... It's a continuing thing. They keep Absolutely. on pushing the frontier, exploring. There's always more space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's fair. Mm. Uh, good. Yeah. I, yeah. This is the really weird thing about this. I mean, uh, people might be thinking, oh, we're interesting. We're going to get lots of feedback on what we think about this. And it's like, well, no, because we know what Jack's yeah, about to say. Uh, uh, what well, I'm going to say, arguably. And in that episode, we, we talked it's through about it. Yeah. It a fair bit and, and, and made, you know, Advice additions and, things, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So subsequently, no notes. perfect pitch thank you gentlemen perfect perfect perfect. yeah there we go that's roughly like i said i've just got bullet points and stuff so Mm. that's very roughly how i'd go through that kind of three movie act one act two act Mm, three kind of trilogy and culminate the modern star wars Mm. slash star trek because abrams kind of did star mm. trek as star wars (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's how i do it i like i like that it has the diplomacy with the gorn in there but also sets up a potentially ongoing conflict with the Klingons. Yes, that's um, exactly yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, 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 to further be explored and, and, and have that be almost maybe as like an inciting incident into heightening the, the, the tension between the two groups. Yeah. Of like, yeah. oh, we've we've been like eyeing each other very kind of like, mm, mm, yeah. and this, this is going to be the thing that kicks off, yeah. you know. As I mentioned yeah. in the episode and as is covered in Star Trek lore and stuff, mm. The Gorn are part of the Klingon Empire, are basically yeah. against their will, and are like subjugated and essentially enslaved by mm. the Klingons. Yeah. So there's that mutual enemy thing again mm. as well. You can do a lot with that commentary of again yeah. having them basically using them almost like an X Men style thing of like they're an allegory for people of color. Mm. They're an allegory for marginalized yeah. people. Again, it's Kirk, ju- Kirk judging people by like a terrifying seven foot tall lizard men, like they're uncivilized brutes and savages mm. and stuff like. Yeah, you talked about people of color that way like a mm-hmm. hundred yeah. years ago, and hopefully then you'd use that message, mm. tie it into the politics, mm. and then yeah, go on to mm. and the fact spin that off. Kirk thinks he's an evolved, uh, genuine magnanimous being. Like, mm. Oh no, no, I'm I, I'm famously quite... hot headed and yeah. stupid and yeah, I'm I'm yeah. good with these species. I'm okay with it, but this new one, fucking hell, that's just a weird, creepy beast. It's like uh. Okay. Oh, fuck hmm. anything that moves. Not you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you Gorn's got Lady Gorn's? Oh. I'll give it a go. Well, now I'm on board. Have a crack. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I do my modern Star Trek trilogy, very roughly. So there you go. Nice. Mr. Matum, how about you? Yeah. Which one are you covering? I am. How far back do we have to go for yours? I think Tim's got the most synopses to read out now. Yes. Or mini synopses, I should say. In a way, barely any time at all. Oh. But in another way, oh. quite a far back. Oh. Uh, 
I am providing the part, I believe, part six. <laughs> God damn. Franchise, baby. Yep. Uh, it is the sequel to my Godzilla King of the Monsters fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which you did not call King of the Monsters, you called Destroy All Destroy Monsters. Monsters. Yeah, right. Which was done in season 10, episode 8, so barely any time at all ago. Like six weeks ago, basically. Yeah. Um, however, I also tied that into <laughs> Matt's fix for Pacific Rim Uprising yep. from season 7, episode 6. Yeah, still blown away by that. Which he ended on a cliffhanger introducing the Pacific Rim Jaegers from his pitch into, into the 2014 in, MonsterVerse. Yeah. yeah. In season 7, thing. I did two cliffhangers and fucked people. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go through some synopses of these three different franchises. So the I'm... entire MonsterVerse yeah. plus your pitches. Yeah. I'm ready, Tim. Pacific Rim 2013. Oh my God. Kaiju appear out of a rift in the Pacific Ocean. Accurate. Humanity makes giant robots, a.k.a. Jaegers, to fight them, then grows complacent and tries to build a wall instead. Metaphor. <laughs> uh, the kaiju get bigger and more frequent, so it's all down to the Jaeger program to save the day. They manage to seal the rift and stop the kaiju from arriving, learning in the process that they are being sent by extra-dimensional aliens, a.k.a. the precursors. Bam. That's the entire... So our movie condensed yep. into four sentences. Impressive. Godzilla, 2014, one year later. Uh, in the 50s, humanity discovered Godzilla and tried to kill him with, an at with atom bombs. Now an organization called Monarch monitors him and other big monsters. Two big insect things have awoken, and they're causing chaos, draining radiation, and getting ready to breed. The military fucks up all the attempts to stop them, but Godzilla shows up and kills them. Brilliant. Also accurate. Aaron Taylor Johnson is there, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> also, a bunch of humans, I guess, unimportant. Yeah, the, the, the dangerous people to hear this and say, "Why don't you do this during the regular season?" Yeah, like, <laughs> season eleven. Hello, everybody. That's the synopsis. Yeah. Humans are there. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Arise, fuck shit up. Anyway, here's yeah. my pitch. So, why is this episode in like forty minutes long? Uh -huh. You moaned when it was three hours. Yeah. Um. So then, 2016, we have Pacific Rim two. Matt's film. Hello. Earth is fucked from the kaiju attacks, so we reverse engineer the rift technology and send the Jaegers through to find a new world that we can live on or steal the resources from. Absolutely. They arrive on a world that's already been harvested by the precursors. They fight some kaiju, some of the Jaegers are destroyed, and the survivors manage to open another rift, landing on Godzilla Earth. Big cliffhanger. Godzilla Earth, indeed. Correct. Yep. 2017, we have Kong Skull Island. Kong lives on Skull Island, and he is the last of his kind. He protects the natives from big lizard worm things that live underground. In the 70s, Monarch went to find him, and it went bad, but some of them escaped. That's that film. You know what? Yep. Just hearing this in such quick succession, I really wish this is exactly what happened in the real universe of our <laughs> film. This would have been like... So good. <laughs> Carry on, Tim. 2019, we have my fix, which was Godzilla Destroy All Monsters. We found a bunch more monsters, and the military tries to kill them, but instead wakes up Ghidorah, who is not like the others, and maybe an alien? Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Godzilla gets his ass kicked by Ghidorah, and Ken Watanabe sacrifices himself to help heal Godzilla in a deep-sea temple thing. 
built by an ancient civilization. Mm-hmm. Godzilla and the Jaegers from Pacific Rim 2 team up to kill Ghidorah. So we have like in the third act, yeah. it crosses over. We, we, we ha- essentially have the scene that Matt had in mm-hmm. 2016's Pacific Rim 2, this time from our, from not Godzilla's perspective, <laughs> but, but from the perspective of this franchise, the, 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 the people in, in that world. And the audience would know at this point what was coming in, in this, mm. you know, uh, chronological event of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I know they're coming. Yeah. But it'd be very satisfying when it happens. There's more of it. And it goes into the big battle we wanted to see. So, yes, yeah. exactly. And then my pitch essentially ended with them, like, defeating Ghidorah, but then being like, what now, essentially? Treat Williams just turns to the camera and says, what now? Yeah. <laughs> so, 2023... Godzilla, Rise of the Jaegers. Oh, damn. We're in the future future. Yep. I'm not 100% sold on that name, but that's what I've gone with. As long as I can sing it to the Attack on Titan theme, Tim, I don't care. (laughs) It in the Jaeger. Rise of the Jaegers. (laughs) (laughs) It's crossing Uh, over with Attack on Titan as well. Probably. I'm adding it in right now. Sorry, (laughs) Tim. I'm just complicating everything. Cliffhanger. Um, (laughs) So I've changed my director from Destroy All Monsters. Okay. Who was Matt Reeves. I didn't even talk about my director. <laughs> who was your director? I'll carry on with Ryan Johnson. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to be done by the same Let person. him do two in a row. Poor yeah. Ryan. Yeah. So it's just, so I, yeah, you're not, you, you are changing director, but that makes sense because every single one of these fucking films is at a different director. That's yeah. fine. Um, and also Matt Reeves is busy doing Batman. Precisely. Yeah. I have gone back to an earlier director. We're bringing back Del Toro. Mm. Oh, Tim! I Tim, that's great. Clear Matt wanking in the corner. <laughs> that's what that was. <laughs> One so, slow stroke. Obviously, kicked it all off with Pacific Rim. <laughs> yep, he'd have done Pinocchio at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. he gets to end it. Yep. So, returning cast from the actual films. <laughs> We have <laughs> Sally Hawkins as Dr. Vivian Graham. I don't envy you, Tim. And returning cast from the actual films. Yep. Returning cast from the fictional films. <laughs> oh, my God. Suffice it to say, we will never be doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> we will, if, if someone says, and I might end on another one, fuck that, we're going right in the bastard and yeah. be done with it. Thanks, John. Um, <laughs> and we'll have TJ Storm doing mocap for Godzilla again. Cool. cool. Returning from my Godzilla Destroy All Monsters pitch. Uh, we have John Boyega as Oscar Keys, uh, Kim Okbin as Sang Hyun, uh, Sang Hyun, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, Park Sodam as Sang Bom, Boyd Holbrook as Floyd Rivers, Jessica Williams as Renee Brewster, uh, and Joe Morton as Doctor Houston Brooks. New cast. Oh my god, Tim. Oh my god. I mean, it makes sense, but sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. As Mason Weaver, who was Brie Larson's character in Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have Susan Sarandon. Oh, Oh, very good. Uh, Obviously, Janet in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Jane in the Witches of Eastwick, Louise in Thelma and Louise. Uh, more recently, she was Jennifer in Robot and Frank, which is a fun little film. I like that film. Uh, and Betty Davis in Feud, Betty and Joan, which is a TV show. That's good. That's good She's also going to be in the new uh, Blue Beetle film yeah. in 2023. Well, Victoria is she Cord. really? Bloody yeah. Uh, as Devon Gurr, Shalto Copley. Uh, 
brilliant. Uh, Wickers in District 9, Murdoch in the A-Team. Chappie and Chappie. Chappie and Chappie. Uh, Vernon in Free Fire. The guy in Elysium, whatever his name is, the yep. that gets his face blown off. Yeah. And yeah, back as Rutherford Geisler. <laughs> <laughs> These are the most, like, Pacific Rim-ass <laughs> names, Tim. I very yeah. much Well, there's it. a reason that one's Pacific Rim, because mm-hmm. that's Charlie Day. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. we go. Uh, obviously, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Newton Geisler in Pacific Rim. Mm. Oh, I see. I'm thinking an alternate version, possibly. We'll, we'll see. Find we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Um, I've still got Michael Giacchino doing the music. <laughs> so did I in Star Trek, for the record. Nice. Um, and I've uh, Guillermo Navarro as cinematographer, who's worked a Brilliant. lot yeah. with... I don't know, Tim, too many Guillermo's. Very <laughs> confusing. <laughs> He's worked a lot with Del Toro um, <laughs> from Devil's Backbone. They did Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth together. They also did Pacific Rim together. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So here we go. This My isn't body quite is ready. isn't quite a full pitch, but it's it's more expect it's more than Jack's bullet points. <laughs> so I had bullet points. Tim's got a little like a mini six, pitch. Six hundred, seven hundred words. We've saved Matt for last for a reason. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're starting the way all these MonsterVerse films, not the Pacific Rim ones, but the MonsterVerse ones start. A montage of newspaper articles and TV footage shows the world's reaction to the Aegers, as well as detailing Godzilla's return to the deep ocean and the fact that Kong is missing. Immediately after the events of Destroy All Monsters, there are a series of UN hearings. Dr. Graham and the Jaeger pilots argue that the Jaeger technology should remain in their hands, but politicians from various nations demand it is handed over so they can build their own mechs to combat the Titans. Dr. Graham gives a speech about how the past few years have proved that the Titans are there to defend the Earth like an immune system, but it falls on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. However, when the military comes to claim the Jaegers from the Tokyo hangar where they're being stored, Floyd and Renee delay them long enough for Oscar and the Sang twins to disable the drift mechanism, rendering them inoperable. Brilliant. We jump forward four years. Ooh. Uh, and the Nakajima, which was the boat that the Monarch people were operating off of, arrives in Hong Kong. Not Kong Kong, which I've written here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been renamed after yep. Naka- I, I was going to ask last time around, Nakajima's a reference, isn't it? It That's is. That's the actor, isn't it's... it, who played the original yeah. in yes. the suits? Yes. Yeah. yeah, in the Godzilla suits. I, 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 I thought, I know that name. Yeah, I didn't mention it at the time, but love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Floyd and Sang Hayun are now a couple. Uh, and they reunite with Bomb, Renee, and Dr. Graham, delivering data from their mission to map the undersea tunnels that they discovered in the previous film. Uh, Monarch has been dissolved, and each country is now responsible for their own Titan defense. Uh, but Dr. Graham has many contacts among the scientists working in various nations because she's, you know, a leading scholar on this stuff. Sure. Um, and so she is been made aware by various people kind of feeding her information and whatnot over the past 18 months there's been increased activity from the Titans with some awakening from hibernation and others almost breaking free from their habitats. Something's gotten riled up. Uh, meanwhile, Oscar, who has been living off the grid, is kidnapped and brought to Devon Gurr, a wealthy industrialist who has won the US government contract to create new Jaegers. Um, and they're basically, lots of countries have tried to recreate them. They've kind of taken the technology and, and you know, it's been studied by scientists, but they haven't 
no one's been able to do it successfully. There's been lots of failed attempts. Right. This right. guy's come along and he's like, I've got the key to, I know how to do it. Mm. Um, Gurr's scientists haven't been able to recreate, recreate the drift technology, however. And so Gurr has Oscar tortured to try and learn what he knows. Oh. If you remember back to Matt's uh, Pacific Rim I do not. pitch, uh, I do. Oscar <laughs> uh, basically created solo drift technology yes, and yeah. stuff like that. Yes. And so he was an expert on it. So he's very knowledgeable. On it. Absolutely. Um, in Russia, a Titan tries to break out and the military kill it. And it's very sad. We get the, these yeah, things. Yeah, the Toro's classic. Yeah. Like, these creatures are... Yeah, I yeah. know what you mean, yeah. The real monsters were the people. Mm. Monarch decides to, decides to find out what is up with the Titans all getting, you know... Riled up. And riled stuff. up. Yep. Uh, and we meet Rutherford Geisler, uh, who has made a version of the Drift Tech to link to a Titan. Ah. Um, and we get some funny, like... Huh, you look like a guy from my universe, kind of. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. I was a bit of a handsome guy, I imagine. This is really, yeah. uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> I just like about Woody Allen. <laughs> that's the, that's Woody, Woody, Woody Allen. Allen on bath salts. Yeah, there we go. That's the, which again, Charlie Day. Yeah. Uh, million in, mile. Uh, in the Philippines, the Titan called Angiras breaks free of its compound in the northwest of Luzon and begins to rampage through the countryside. Mm. Godzilla shows up and the pair fight, with Godzilla eventually subduing Anguirus. Doesn't kill him. You're not just, killing him, yeah. Just kind of beats him and he goes like... He roars at him and runs off. Yeah, yeah. basically. Uh, meanwhile, the Monarch team races to the site and Geisler connects with Godzilla. He has a vision Ooh. of another temple site within the Earth, but Godzilla's brain is too alien and Geisler is injured by the feedback. Um, so there'd be a cool action scene of like Godzilla fighting the thing and they're trying to get like these, you know, Probe probes yeah. or whatever into Godzilla to be able to create this connection. Yeah. Right. Uh, Oscar manages to escape his cell and gets a glimpse of the Jaeger that Gur has been constructing, as well as bioengineering labs that seem to be cloning tissue. Mm. Elsewhere, the Monarch team seeks out Dr. Brooks, hoping that Kong's mind may offer more clues. Brooks, Dr. Graham, and Renee track down Mason Weaver, believing her connection with Kong will help, while Floyd and the Sangs transport a ramshackle new Jaeger called Serenity Promise that they've been <laughs> constructing nice. to Skull Island. This is like, we've taken all the failed, you know, countries that have attempted thing. to make yeah. Jaegers. Franken-Jaeger. We've, we've got stolen bits and bits we've made, and it's, it's very jury-rigged, and it's, you know, not super big. It's, you know, but... It's functioning. Yes. Jury Rig is also an appropriate Jaeger name. Yeah. I, I love Serenity Promise as mm -hmm. a Jaeger name. It's brilliant. Uh, using Serenity Promise, the Sangs, Floyd, and Mason head into the tunnels beneath Skull Island, where Kong is believed to be hiding. Go on. <laughs> We're raising some eyebrows here. Yeah. Uh, they descend into the hollow earth. Oh, fucking hell. And there it is. <laughs> That's the moment I was yep. waiting for. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, is it like Tron world in Godzilla vs. Kong? <laughs> is it upside down Tron world? No. Okay. Uh, and they find Kong, who fights Serenity Promise for a bit, then calms down. Uh, and Mason is able to connect with him uh, and drift, learning the location of the temple and that the Titans are growing antsy because they can sense a great threat is coming. Oh, fucking hell. Okay. Serenity Promise heads deeper, searching for the temple. 
On the surface, two more titans break loose in America, and Godzilla arrives to subdue them, but Gurr deploys his new remotely piloted Jaeger to fight all three. It kills the two smaller titans and is locked in combat with Godzilla. In the Hollow Earth, Serenity Promise arrives at the temple and discovers it is a precursor site from when they previously visited this earth and used the Titan DNA to create their kaiju. Ah, there nice you go. Nice. So it's kind of taking, so far, uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, the one that currently mm-hmm. exists in, our, in the real world, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and just really warping it into a really nice way with all the stuff you've got so far. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's a very strong. So love it so far. Mm-hmm. What's more, the rift engine there is powering up once more. Oh, Uh-oh. shit. At Gurr's headquarters, Oscar continues to infiltrate the labs and discovers that the new Jaeger is partially biological, using cloned tissue based on the remains of King Ghidorah oh, within, within a metal shell. <laughs> Serenity Promise attempts to destroy the rift engine, but is unable to, and it powers up. With the connection to the precursor world re-established, Gurr's Jaeger suddenly mutates into a Mecha Ghidorah Fuck's sake, fucking hell. <laughs> under precursor control. Oh. And Godzilla is forced to flee from this powerful new creature. Mm. So previously his his Jaeger would be a little bit more bestial than the standard ones we're used to, but it wouldn't it, it's not a mecha Godzilla. Right. Uh, yes. and then it kind of like it, it's like mutates and you can see them the you originally can't see any of the like biological elements just looks like Jaeger and then like the skin st- it starts a Kira ring out basically I'm not I'm, I'm not seeing saying some Evangelion and you motherfucking right <laughs> yeah, it's exactly yeah, yeah. Like, very much so we, we, we know where this is going yeah. Jack and I are like yeah. oh we know this yeah. 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 Uh, Serenity Promise attempts to enter the rift but it is protected and only allows Kaiju DNA through fortunately King Kong has been following the Jaeger at a distance and Mason is able to use the drift tech to kind of persuade Kong to travel through to the uh, precursor's dimension because their mm. kaiju were based on the Titans, so yes. he can kind of get through, mm. sort of grandfathered yeah, yeah. in. Yep. Get in the hole, you monkey fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he travels to their dimension where he proceeds to wreck shit. Uh, is then... get in the hole, you monkey fuck, the get in the robot Shinji of this universe? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get in the rift, Kong. <laughs> I don't want to. Get in the hole, you monkey fuck. Oh, no, I miss my dad. <laughs> I am your dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and he returns just before the rift closes once more. Mm. On the surface, Mecha Ghidorah goes feral, now disconnected from any control, and Godzilla once again attempts to fight it, but is still struggling. Uh, in Gur HQ, Oscar locates the pilot's cradle and plugs in, managing to briefly take over the Mecha Ghidorah enough to cause it to hesitate and allowing Godzilla to destroy it, Oscar probably dies in the process. Yeah, yep. I, the, the, yeah um, I, it's a good noble sacrifice. Yeah, thing. I got that. with that. Yeah. I'm thinking Oscar moment. We win an Oscar for this. <laughs> <laughs> and the Oscar goes to Tim and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, that, is, that is the end of Cool. The... Yeah, very cool, man. Much better than the Godzilla versus Kong that we got. Yeah, I I, I don't which dislike is, Godzilla versus Kong. Fine. It's fine. Yeah. But, but this sounds like, as a culmination of all the stuff building up to it, it feels big and epic and Just not too franchise we fucking should have had. Seriously. I was I was a little disappointed I couldn't find a way to have an axe that absorbs radiation in there somewhere for Kong. <laughs> King cool Kong thing, to yeah. use. He's in the Hollow Earth, Tim. He just has it in the Hollow Earth. It's, it's just there. Just there. It was Maybe. a key. Maybe. 
him and Godzilla have a moment where they're like, huh? And he's like, remember me, motherfucker? Remember I got your shard or whatever? From, yep. I made an axe from your scales? I'm like, eh? Eh? There you go. But yes, that is that is the nice conclusion nice. to yes. the Monsterverse. And, I, and a solid one, if you ask me. I think genuinely that was a very cool... Because I think it's not a just a finish to the, to the pitch of, you know, the thing you did last time. Mm. That's almost two or three franchises crossing over in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I say that's the end of the Monsterverse. Godzilla and King Kong are both alive and on the planet at the same time mm. and have still have not met. Um, yeah. Oh, they never meet. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're still getting Godzilla versus Kong. Quite, maybe, who knows. Yeah, we are. But um, We I, would. I demand yeah. it. Whether you I, like I, it or not. I, I think of this as, this is like the Avengers of this yes. universe. You could it stop it bringing, here, go further. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, bringing yeah. all the elements together. Right, yeah. Um, I get that. That's good. Yeah. No problem. No complaints. And as I said in the previous episode, love it. Good stuff. Cool as fuck. Yeah. Right. Matthew. I mean, we've had so much tonal whiplash from this episode. From, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, science fiction to science fiction. Not too I was going to say, this has yeah. been pretty, like, consistent. Mad blockbuster sci-fi, big mad blockbuster sci-fi. Not that much tonal whiplash. Yeah. It's what's well, going to get it now. Now it is. Now <laughs> yeah. it is. Now it is, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it's franchise whiplash in that it's like, hang on, let me just keep track of this. So if there's a Star Trek, then there's a Godzilla, there's a Pacific Rim. Okay, I'm there now. It's like, right. Get ready some gothic romantic horror <laughs> mopey nonsense. With giant robots and monsters, right? It's me. In you're Mexican there somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Um, all vampires are, are piloting dead people at Mexico, I guess. <laughs> It's all come through. It's all so, connected. Casting your mind back, this one's a little cleaner to a degree. Um, it is. Season... It's not a crossover of two fictional pitches no. and, and real films all at once. No, it's 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 one film, a sequel I made, and another one. Good. Um, so, season seven, episode eleven, um, was Queen of the Damned, uh, which was a sort of sequel, pseudo sequel to uh, Interview of the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire, 1994. In 90s San Francisco, journalist Daniel Malloy interviews Louis de Pont du Lac, a vampire. Uh, the vampire regales Malloy with his origin. Through flashbacks to the late 1700s, we see how Louis was turned and instructed by the vampire Lestat. The pair go on adventures, turn a young girl named Claudia, and eventually part ways. Violently. Um, 100 years later, Claudia and Louis find themselves in Paris and they're betrayed by the leader of a Théâtre de Vampire, uh, <laughs> Armand. Louis wanders around a bit because, you know, Claudia, uh, Claudia dies <laughs> um, uh, before settling in San Francisco, meeting with Lestat one last time. And then Malloy uh, asks to be turned. He's like, that sounds like a great thing. And uh, Louis <laughs> says, have you heard nothing? I've just fucking told you. Yeah. Lashes out, disappears. On the ride home, Malloy is attacked by Lestat, who says he will tell him his side of a story and turns him into a vampire. Or at least bites him. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I did another one <laughs> called The Vampire Lestat in 2018. And I did literally just that. Uh, Lestat tells his own version of the story. Lestat leaves his hometown of Auvergnier and, uh, with Nicolas de L'Enfant. Nicolas de L'Enfant. Uh, the pair arrive in Paris, getting work as an actor and violinist, respectively. Um, Lestat is abducted and turned by a vampire named Magnus. Magnus. Magnus then gives a few pointers about things, but then kills himself, leaving his estate and wealth to Lestat. Lestat says he's, uh, he's married and moved to the Bahamas to keep his friends and family away, which sends Nicholas 
over the edge and he falls in with a bad crowd. Lestat's mother, Gabrielle, arrives near death and panicking, Lestat turns her into a vampire as well because he's a fucking idiot. Lestat <laughs> um, finds Nicholas has become a plaything for vampires led by Armand. And so he goes, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? I know, I'll turn him into a vampire. My and, solution for everything. That really is yeah. a solution for everything. He literally yeah. has no yeah. idea what he's doing. Uh, Nicholas, however, his mind is far too fucking gone and uh, he, he, he kills himself. He's playing his fiddle into the fucking sun nice. and bursts into flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the present day, Malloy and Lestat reunite with Louis and go to meet Marius de Romanus, the vampire who made Armand. In the late 1700s, we flash back again, Lestat and Gabrielle have escaped to North Africa to avoid the French Revolution. But Gabrielle can't deal with her son's mood swings uh, because obviously that's Nicholas and he's still hung up on the whole thing. And so she's, I'm fucking off to Africa. See you later, mate. She goes deeper into Africa and says, maybe our paths will cross again. Spoilers, they do. The <laughs> um, stat then goes into a slump, but meets Marius for the first time. Uh, he learns about the statues of Akasha and Enkil, the first vampires uh, down in the basement on this island. But he grows bored of hanging around and sets sail for America. Back in the 90s, Malloy, Louis and Lestat arrive on Marius's island, but he's gone. In the whole place he's in, the villa seem to be abandoned. And in the basement, the Akasha statue is gone. And the Enkil statue has its throat torn out, which is weird but as a statue. Uh, Molloy then struggles with being a vampire. He's like, I don't, I can't do this in the same way that Louis struggles with the same thing. And realizing that I told you this would happen, you dickhead. You clearly should have listened to what Brad Pitt was telling you. <laughs> um, so they travel to the mainland, uh, or mainland Italy, sorry, um, where there have been reports of spontaneous combustion and they're ambushed by a bunch of vampires, uh, then brought to their head, who happens to be Marius. Hey. Marius then fills them all in about Akasha and says she will reclaim the earth because those statues were not just statues, they were the petrified version of the first vampires who just got bored, it seemingly, and um, he's been watching over their bodies. And then she, for, since uh, Akasha met Lestat and his sexual energy mm. um, and him chucking a fucking violin at them, um, <laughs> she's like, right, I'm going to very slowly move over the course of two or three hundred years and bite this guy's fucking... <laughs> face off and just get the powers and go rule the earth. Sure. And that's my cliffhanger. So this film is called The Queen of the Damned because of course it is. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Um, it's being released the very next year uh, in 2019. Uh, the director again is um, Lenny Abramson who's I did last time around. Um, I've wrote Neil Jordan here. That's wrong. <laughs> that was the director of the first one. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's Lenny Abramson who did um, uh Room and room, all those pieces. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not the room. Not the room. Room. Now we're so yeah. here. I'll run through this very quickly. Even though Wizzo is a vampire. Yeah. He oh. is. But I'm or not having that Celtic weirdness on my set. Tommy Wiseau, as everyone. As a he's, he's either a vampire or he's DB Cooper or he's vampire DB Cooper. Also from Lithuania or something, but he doesn't, as vampire he doesn't know. Yeah. So vampire. Yeah. So uh, to go over the cast again. Akasha is being played by Naomi Scott. Lestat de Leoncourt is played by Tom Cruise. Louis Dupont de Lac is played by Brad Pitt. Daniel Molloy played by Christian Slater. Maris de Romanus is Robert Pattinson. Enkil is Stephen James, although he's not really in this film. Maybe. Oh, no, he's. Yes, he is. <laughs> Spoilers. I was like, he's not in this film. I'm thinking of the last film. Sorry. Armand is uh, Antonio Banderas. Gabrielle is Gillian Anderson. Nicolas de L'Enfant is Timothy Chalamet. Is that our sexiest cast ever? Uh, it is the keep it in your pants cast because it's because it's just, it's inherently sexy film. So. It's vampires. It's got yeah, to exactly that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. and and, and we don't the, often delve into the sexy. We don't always. We're not the thirst. We don't but, uh, no. no, we leave that to the to the ladies at the thirst. Yeah, they've got they got us covered. 
but it's a it's a very thirst cast. As there was someone on Twitter who was pointing out that the 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 cast for like uh the upcoming Madam Web film is like mm. full of like sexy people uh and it's in the fucking hands of the writers of Morbius. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're not gonna properly deploy these people. No. <clears throat> Time to get ruined. Okay. Following the events of the first film, as in uh <coughs> the last film, my the vampire Lestat. Mm-hmm. We're reminded that Lestat, Malloy, and Louis traveled to a Mediterranean island to seek out Marius, the vampire who made Lestat, uh, sorry, uh, who made um, uh, Armand. Upon arrival, the castle is deserted, so they descend to the crypt, and you find Enkel's statue with his throat torn out. Blah, 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 blah. I've already covered all this stuff, so you should be mm-hmm. fine. Marius explains that Akasha has been moving slowly over, the, over time and has fed off of uh, Enkel's blood. She will now fulfill the actions she took centuries ago and conquer the earth. The story then cuts back and forth between the 90s plot because we're still in the 90s, even mm-hmm. though this is 2019, and flashbacks to ancient Egypt, mm. uh, starting with Akasha leaving an Ital- entire Italian town decimated, the human population entirely drained, and the vampire's presence set ablaze. So we're saying, like, you know, oh, God, she's going to do this thing, and then the first act really is to remind everybody what happened in the previous film, right? Yeah, and then show her literally saying, like, everybody here is dead, and all the vampires are on fire. She's a genuine threat. We cut back to ancient Egypt and are introduced to two witches living in the mountains in communion with a malevolent, bloodthirsty spirit uh, named Amel. Uh, they are set upon and arrested by the army of the ruling monarchs on charges of slaughtering local livestock for unholy sacrifices. <laughs> to deliver justice, uh, in her eyes at least, Queen Akasha destroys their home in the mountains and scorches the earth of every village in the area, stating that every piece of land they've touched is corrupted. Because she's always been a bit of a psycho, it seems. The witches place a curse on the queen and her husband Enkil. For this, the witches are put to death. In the present day, Akasha continues her rampage, moving through Italy and into France. Authorities try to stop her, but she, um, but she is able to uh, use her impressive power to dodge bullets and make light work of her attackers because she is literally the first vampire. Yeah. Effectively, she is like super powered motherfucker. Mm. Like it's 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 the one kind of shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or like Bill Nye in Underworld. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. <laughs> One day we'll get to Underworld stuff. Lestat, Louis, Malloy, and Marius follow her trail with Lestat uncomfortable about going back to France for the first time in decades. Because he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, nope. I talked about France. Oh, France. But then he's there and like, no, I, I, no, I'm not doing this. Which again, I'm going to get like very rarely a bit of a, a tenderness from Mr. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. But a bit of a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, vulnerability. Bit of vulnerability. Thank you. Exactly what I'm looking for. Thank you. Bit of vulnerability. In Egypt, the cursed rulers become reclusive as the city, ca- the capital city, is struck by a mysterious plague, causing people to die, drained of blood. We show the citizens locking their doors in fear of, as the sun sets. That night, several houses fall victim to this plague. Uh, from an audience perspective, we can tell this is a physical attacker. In the present day, Akasha is helped by psych- uh, sycophantic French vampires who worship her. Because again, of course, there will be. Uh, she happily manipulates them and takes advantage of their loyalty. Uh, back at the palace in Egypt, Enkel fears his wife is struck with the plague as she's been hiding from him, but he learns she is possessed and must consume blood. With little control, Akasha attacks Enkel, almost killing him. Gaining some control over the demon possessing her, Akasha is able to rip at her own throat and allows Enkel to drink her blood. This act uh, ultimately saves Enkel, but passes the curse as, this, as the demon's presence is fractured and infects Enkel. So the idea is she's patient zero, effectively. Um, and the, literally, these, these witches who worship this demon 
it's literally a demon and it's infesting her and there's mm -hmm. you know fragmented bits of horcrux shall we say in everything else <laughs> Uh, by the way, there's a lot of Anne Rice lore in here, and obviously things I've choose to ignore. Yes, uh, as we covered in the uh, uh, Queen of the Damned episode. Yeah, Anne Rice is very particular about adaptations. Everything, basically. Yeah. 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 So some things I, I couldn't just go off my own. Although I have done a lot of things on my own accord, but some of it's like this is your law. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that Akasha seems to be heading towards Paris, Lestat, Louis, Malloy, and Maris are able to apprehend and interrogate a loyal zealot. He is mostly unable, uh, sorry, unhelpful, but reveals certain important facts. As such, the group learned that every living vampire is a copy of a copy, and all their powers are watered-down versions of Akasha's link to the evil spirit. Mm, like apples. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would get you. Or like the film Multiplicity. Or Multiplicity. Both are correct, and I'm trying to process how that. Yes, <laughs> literally, yes. <laughs> Fuck. Um, how symbolic. It's it's the it's, it's the ogres or onions analogies. Vampires or apples. Yeah. Out. Who knew? Cyanide pips. Um. Yes, and that this gift, as they all put it in the film, the, the dark gift, is and always has been. A curse. Mm. Louis goes, ha fucking told you. <laughs> Following months of deaths, an angry mob invade the palace during the day, and despite their immense power displayed by Akasha and Enkel, the pair are weakened by the sun. This allows the Egyptian citizens to overwhelm the vampires, imprisoning them in a stone sarcophagi. Back in France, the group are attacked by French vampires defending their queen. Marius talks about how he has been studying vampire biology and highlights how important a variety of bloodlines is, rather than one weak, corruptible strain. So again, bananas. Yeah. Fucking, it's all fruit, mate. Fruit bats. Nothing but fruit. Fruit, fruit bats, vampire bats, vampires. I'm going to have Christian Slayer say that. Um... <laughs> If Akasha continues to feed and subjugate humanity, the blood will stale and eventually everyone will die. Malloy chases Lestat for instigating this, ch sorry, chastises Lestat for instigating this entire ordeal. It's like, you're a dickhead, you yeah. stroppy little child, you threw a fucking fiddle because you got over your boyfriend being dead and now the world's fucked. Uh, Louis is able to calm Malloy and explains that he... Uh, this was always going to happen, it's in their nature. In the same way that it's Lestat's nature to complicate the simple. Rather than being offended, the French countryside stirs the stats nostalgia and he's played by images of Nicholas. So he would be like Tom Cruise getting all kicking his face and stuff. Mm. But the truth is, he's like, oh no, <laughs> it's all coming back. Got a PTS going on. After several hundred years, a Roman centurion uncovers the sarcophagi, uh, holding Enkel and Akasha, mm -hmm. during a military operation in Egypt. Opening the first casket, he is shocked to find the decrepit host inside is somehow still alive as she reaches up and bites him. He is then turned and given the duty of updating uh, Akasha on what has happened to the world. The centurion in question is Marius de Romanus. Ah, there you go. Yep. So it's, it literally is why it's called de Romanus because he's a Roman. Mm. Yep. Get to see Robert Pattinson in some short Roman yeah. toga stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're welcome, people. <laughs> It's a sexy film. Sexy um, vampire Robert Pattinson. Can't imagine it. Can't complain. Uh, Akasha finally arrives in Paris and is greeted by the vampires who have been helping her move across the country. Armand and Gabrielle. Hey, mm. those motherfuckers. Yep. Uh, quite literally, if Armand is fucking Gabrielle, he's a <laughs> motherfucker, yeah. Because it's Gabrielle's uh, Lissabon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the pair are extremely loyal and devoted, but it quickly becomes apparent that the ancient monarch has no desire to share power. 
Far in the past, Maris does his best to temper the monarchs, subtly never allowing them to restore to full health, sensing the world uh, sorry, sensing they would consume all of Africa and Europe by making use of the re- uh, the reach of the Roman Empire. Because obviously it's like the, not just you have it's this one kingdom. vampire Roman Empire. It's a Roman vampire, if you will. <laughs> it's all of those things and so much more. Um, so he takes them to a Mediterranean island and keeps them underground. Over time, they grow bored and begin to petrify. Hence the stones and, and the, the statues. statues. Right, yeah. right, right. It's cool. like, you can rule from here and I'll bring you some stuff. And over time, they're like, I'm just going to sit here and just do nothing. <laughs> All the parties reunite in Paris as Akasha states she will no longer be confined to the shadows. She only needs to consume a few hundred more and she will be unstoppable. Because again, it's classic they're recovering all my powers over these mm-hmm. years, being tired, yada yada. Um, and unlike in Egypt, she has a legion of loyal children to protect her. Armand questions this, stating the balance between human and vampires must be kept in order to feed properly. For this, he has his arm torn off by Akasha. Oof. Gabriel intercedes but is unable to calm the queen because the classic is like oh we'll control her oh we've made a terrible mistake she screams about balance and how the world is insulting how the word is insulting you know, we don't, shouldn't, it's the classic you know we shouldn't be subjugated to these animals we shouldn't be in the shadows the yeah, we're, the, we're the predators we yeah. should rule yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. she then decrees that she will kill 90% of the world's human population and establish a new Eden wherein she will be worshipped as a goddess <laughs> and any vampire that defies her will kiss daylight. Again, I think this was in the book that it was like she was going to eat 90% of everybody. Right, like, right. Fucking hell, right. A psychic transmission is sent out to... Mul- uh, there's a lot of psychic vampire shit in the book. I sort yeah. of alluded to it in my second pitch where really mopey, sad Lestat is heard by Marius because he's got so many psychic waves. Yeah. So a psychic transmission is sent out to every vampire with se- within several thousand miles. It is essentially a holy decree. Uh, Lestat, vampire Pope, if you will. Pretty much. It's like, I'm telling you to do this. But, you know, with name is God's voice. Mm. Lestat, Louis, Malloy, and Marius follow the signal with Louis and Lestat fully aware of what, uh, where they are headed. Hey, Paris. Malloy, remembering the interviews, goes over the history of the area and how it's possible that both Armand and Gabriel are still alive. But this only serves to boil Lestat's blood as he storms off. As, as he does. As he fucking does. As he does, yeah. Akasha, because although this is an ensemble film, it's still Tom still Cruise. Yeah. yeah. He can't yeah. not be a fucking Tom Cruise in yeah. this and be like the do, big boy. He's going to do a lot of running and a lot of brooding, you know? Yeah, some super running. Akasha steps into the busy streets of Paris at night uh, as night falls and begins consuming the people of the city. Behind her, Gabrielle, Armand, and other vampires follow timidly, feeling remarkably exposed. Uh, en route, Louis, Malloy, and Marius discuss this suicide mission they're about to embark on. When Malloy asks for clarification, Marius hypothesizes that if the demon Armel leaves Akasha's body and is killed, the lineage could crumble immediately. It's the classic, if you kill the, you the main one. They all destroy yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it's like, well, we are literally descendants of this. There's, there could be a possibility that it's a direct line because it's an unholy thing rather than just a scientific thing. Yeah. But, it's like, but we don't know that. <clears throat> um, meaning this could be the very end of the species. Both Maris and Louis are in agreement that this would not be an entirely bad thing. Because, of course... Maris and Louis have been around long enough and mopey bastards. And they hate mopey vampires yeah. at this point. Yeah. Louis fucking hates being a vampire Absolutely. at this yeah. point. Mopey yeah. Brad Pitt, mopey Robert Pattinson saying, you know what, I'd rather be dead. Mm. Mm. Um, Two very mopey, very sexy vampires. Yeah. Sad, sad wank. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but not a tough one. Hashtag, so, I'm so unhappy and tortured that I've just got to rend my shirt in twain <laughs> lie back. Oh, I've just got to uh, splash around in this fountain furiously. <laughs> 
And then Christian Slater's like, yeah, all right, guys. <laughs> um, Lestat, fighting Akasha's call, is drawn to the street where Nicholas died. In his mind, he can hear the theme that he was playing on the violin, that sort of cursed, weird sound, as he bursts into flames. Lestat wails and flips the cars in rage. Of course he does. Because it's, it's Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. Maybe he rips his shirt. Don't Jump, know. Jumps mm. on a sofa excitedly. It's, it's very Tom Woo! Cruise. Yeah, runs around in a circle. Yep. yep. Bursts up all that energy. Finally breaking down, he tries to cry, but he can only stare off into the distance. Uh, uh, separate from everything else that's happened and seemingly oblivious to the world ending stakes Lestat is overwhelmed with memories of Armand and swears revenge on uh, sorry, memories of Nicholas and swears revenge on Armand because it's like we've got this really big the world is going to eat 90% of the people it's like yeah but I'm angry at this one on personal vendetta because yeah. Lestat's going to Lestat yeah Marius Malloy and Louis catch up with Akasha as she continues her very public rampage towards the Arc de Triomphe because uh, you know monuments <laughs> We're in and France. We're in France. Might, France. As well, might as well remind people. It's the middle of the road. I don't know how they cross the road because it's a busy street, but you know, see how it goes. Unsure of how exactly one kills a goddess, they summarize the surmise that they will have to bite her. With every drop of her blood, they will grow more powerful and be able to overwhelm her. Ah. Hmm. Uh, so it's a, I'm a power up, she'll power down. Problem solved. Mary says he will do this if uh, Louis and Malloy can keep the other vampires at bay. It's very anime of you, Matthew. It sure. is very anime of you. Which... Shouldn't be a surprise because the Arc de Triumph is about to turn into a mech suit. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. It's about fucking The moment time. we've been asking for for 300 years. And she goes, cha 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 sa cribbler. Bravo, sir. <laughs> TV camera crews turn up to film the chaos but are quickly killed in the process. So, you know, things are kind of seen and not seen at the same time. Mm -hmm. Anyway. From the shadows, Marius drops down and greets Akasha. Uh, hello again. Uh, the Queen welcomes... Hello. <laughs> hello there. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Love it, Jack. Um, the Queen welcomes her loyal subject, but is shocked when he bites her, because obviously he's like, ah, it's you, as opposed to, oh, you fucker. Gabrielle, Armand, and the others rush to defend her, because they're still idiots, but Marius holds his hands out, keeping them at bay with his new stronger powers. So part of this is he has that sort of telepathic hold and other bits and pieces that he can use. Um, Malloy and Louis do their best to keep the crowd under control as Marius drains Akasha. Akasha tries to fight Marius off, but can't uh, ultimately do it because she's still drained, losing her powers. Since in the end, Gabrielle and Armand sneak away. They're like, oh, you know what? Mm, I'm out of yeah. this. In the crowd, Armand feels a slash across his midriff. Looking up, he is confronted by Lestat, who demands an explanation for Nicholas. Armand has little to no memory of the vampire in question, but Lestat is consumed with bloodlust. One of the mob tries to stop Lestat, but he slashes wildly, severing their head. Gripping Armand's face, Lestat hisses a, fa a last insult and decapitates the vampire. Point of In a moment of calm, he looks around to see his mother, Gabrielle, barely clinging to life. It transpires that she was the vampire who had tried to stop him. Dropping to his knees, Lestat is consumed with emotion, but his mother dies without being able to utter a word. So it's like, ah, fuck, shit, shit, Lestat, gonna Lestat. Kill them both, yeah. I've, I've fucked this a thousand times. Sensing the end is near, Akasha wrestles herself free and tries to escape. Louis pins Akasha to the floor and continues to drain her. It's very sexual. Uh, while Marius keeps the crowd at bay. So we all think, okay, we're getting to the end now. This is it, this is it, this is it. What's gonna happen? Malo and then it's a cliffhanger. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Malloy, not particularly equipped at fighting, is overwhelmed and killed. Oh, fair enough. 
Sorry, Chris- Christian Slayer. Sorry, Christian Slayer, but yeah. you like you want to be a vampire. You're not, you're, you're not the biggest no. member of this cast. You're, sorry, you're here. Christian. Um, in a strangely quiet moment, Lestat pushes through the crowd, seeking Louis out for comfort, because again, he is oblivious to everything happening around him. He's like, Louis, I'm really sad again. He's like, <laughs> I'm doing something, mate. Louis is consumed, but uh, Lestat screams for his friend to kill him. Uh, Marius chastises Lestat, but the vampire reaches out and demands Louis to look at him. Akasha, with the only strength she has left, reaches up and pulls Louis's heart out. Damn! Unable to process another crippling emotional loss, Lestat flies into a rage and tearing wildly at Akasha and finishes her off. Again, very Lestat. Yeah. Mm. The crowd is still as their goddess's body turns to stone. Marius closes his eyes, fully expecting the same fate. In that moment, an unseen force erupts from within Akasha and consumes the closest host. Lestat. Ah. Lestat is overwhelmed as centuries of knowledge, existence, and pain passes by his eyes. Marius shouts out to Lestat that he has to let the demon go, but in that moment, Lestat sees a vision of Nicholas and launches himself into the sky. Marius shouts out of the dark, cursing Lestat's name. Rage Against the Machine plays. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> Again, cliffhanger. No, no, there's one last bit. Through news reports, we learn that the vampire outbreak was never clearly documented, so has been chalked up as a horrible airborne virus. I have no idea what that's like. No. Um, which has now passed. That much we don't know fucking like. <laughs> uh, You're living in a dream <laughs> world, Matthew. Yeah, that's not a thing. Maris returns to his Mediterranean island and ponders what the future holds. Finally, we see Lestat in a field. The sun in, uh, in, in France, by the way. The sun setting behind him, reaching out. He draws blood from nearby animals and begins to construct the loose outline of a man. The final oh. shot sits on Lestat's face as we hear Nicholas call out his name. Ooh. So he's using his weird-ass power, which, Ooh. by the way, he's not worried about the sun anymore. I was about to say, yeah, the sun's mm. setting. I was like, oh. He seems to have this sort of weird hold over it, and he basically he's tries a, to resurrect he's Nicholas. He's a daywalker. Yeah. Now listen here. Listen here. You fucking listening, people? That's not a cliffhanger. <laughs> that's an end. Yeah, we're, that's we're, an end. We're done yeah. here. Reuniting with Nicholas with weird mm. magical powers. That's uh, yes. Yeah. Bring it's... bring bring back his beautiful Timothy Chalamet boyfriend. Bring back my girls. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, yes. Nice. Cool. Which again, I kind of went over roughly in terms of my yeah previous episodes. So we don't worry about feedback, but also it's taking stuff that's already in the books, taking things. That I'm like, well, we're not going any future setup stuff. Fuck it. I can kill these characters. I can do whatever I like with yeah. them. It doesn't matter. Um, doing a bit of a back and forth. Like, every single one of these movies has done a bit of back and forth, a bit of a flashback. But same sort of thing, really. And just the other one. 2018, 2019. And then we get a pandemic. <laughs> You're welcome. Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'd prefer that pandemic to this pandemic. You know, at least that one, <laughs> at least that one ended in your film. At least That's that one had true. vampires. Yeah. <laughs> that one was sexy. This is a chance to be cool and sexy. <laughs> That's instead true. of just losing your sense of taste. <laughs> Nothing Getting a sexy. new taste for blood. It's pretty good, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the new sequel that follows <laughs> up to that. Sequelized COVID nineteen. Exactly. If only. If only. <laughs> no. No, it misses another one. <laughs> yeah. Ah, fair, fair. COVID twenty. Nothing. Uh, I don't know if that's it probably would be because that'd be the twenty twenty strain. So if anything, we've got COVID twenty twenty three. It doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Me, you got. What you fucking asked for. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah, and nobody else. <laughs> but if you were curious, thinking, oh, I wonder what. 
you've got the expansion there. You've seen what Jack, Tim, and myself would have done with the other versions of them. Which again, when we wrote our respective pitches, we already had a rough idea where we were yeah. going. Mine was pretty much written already. Yeah, was, yours, as, especially as an adaptation. Yeah. You you had a certain amount. I think I probably had the least amount planned because I was just like, I don't know, Mechagodzilla probably liking... Like God- a true studio example. Yeah. Yeah. Godzilla vs. Kong, but yeah. very different. And yeah. You pulled yeah. on the books, but mm. very different. I pulled on some TV. Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Very different. Like, yeah. 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 The influences are there. And as you said, Matt, we kind of touched on them already, but please do, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the old episodes. You get the full context there. Mm. And then I'd be very intrigued, kind of what we were talking about in the first half, like the binge watching thing of listening to an old episode and then hearing the resolution to it from this episode. Yeah. Yeah, like back to back and seeing like, oh yeah, wow, mm. that is how Jack would feel, or Tim or Matt would have finished mm. that thing, huh? Yeah. So yeah, do, if do you... they feel like satisfying conclusions? Yeah, I'm sure people will have some complaints. People are will have you some not enjoyment. entertained? Ah, mm. there you go. Please do let us know on social media. We are sequelizers on basically everything. Come and join us on the Discord. I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion considering there are essentially three pitches in this episode (laughs) there's a lot to talk about uh the pitches themselves will go up in their various forms on the patreon as well so you can actually have a look through that and all that kind of stuff you've already got some of the full pitches from previous episodes on the patreon you can find them but we will link to all of that and it will all connect nicely and you'll be able to understand the full context and all that kind of stuff so if you want to have Mm. a proper read through if you missed any bits as we were talking about it have a look on the Patreon if you are a patron and you can check out all of the full pitches and that kind of thing. If you want to go and check out the shop, our merch, our live streams, all that kind of stuff, and the Discord I just mentioned, go to sequelizers.com. That is the best place for basically everything sequelizers. If you'd like to follow me on social media, I am JLW Chambers. Matthew, how can people follow your blood-filled sexy adventures <laughs> across the interwebs? Uh, you can search for Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on all the social medias. You can go to Cheeseman.com and see the things that I make. You can go to TheBreadRightHand.co.uk to see the things that I review. You can go to BBG Wrestling and search for Sumo Drop to see all the Sumo coverage that I cover. I'm also going to be talking Sumo stuff with um, Harley um, from Fundamentals. Hey, at some Fundamentals. Point. We love Probably Harley. a little while off yet, but just so uh, previous guest on um, our uh, live streams, and we've been on his show before, Jack yes. and I. We talked about comics on we the Fundamentals did. podcast. We did. Um, so, yeah, feel free to check that out uh, if you'd like to. Tim, um, if people are like, oh my God, I don't know what Tim's going to do next, what a cliffhanger. Where can they find the answers? Uh, they can find those on. The, your number one source for suspense and tension, my Twitter account, trivia underscore lad. <laughs> uh, it's the primary place that I am active on the internet for all to come and find. Um, yeah, that's the best place to find out what I'm up to or what I am bitching about. Well, bloody hell. There you go, folks. Like I said, come and let us know what you thought. I'm sure we'll have plenty of discussion on social media and Discord because there's a lot to talk about and a lot to take away from this episode. So please do come and join in the conversation. We'll be back next week with, again, as I say this every time, especially with the interseason stuff, 
Something very different. I'm trying to remember what it is. Not a Patreon pick this time. Oh, it's th- there's a little bit of a link there, though. There is certainly a link. As uh, always, there's teasers, there's links. I mean, we've talked about... We're going so back many, to the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, so many, <laughs> so many letters, letters, so many cliffhangers, so many films, and now three different sort of crossovers and franchises and actors. Good luck figuring out what they might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. usually we're like, okay, you got one thing and you can kind of work it out. And yeah. Some people did work out like the season finale when we teased That's Wonder Woman true. 1984, which was the season finale for the last season. We did hints on the Discord. We teased <laughs> things and even in the episodes themselves and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Good fucking luck with this one. Yeah, you ain't, you ain't getting that. <laughs> it's a topic I think we're all excited to talk about. Matthew especially. Hello. That doesn't narrow it down. Matt has a lot of interest. I, I like it. You said it in this episode. Matt likes things. Matt likes things. <laughs> it's one of Matt's things that he likes. <laughs> in a way. There are so many things that I like. <laughs> Most of them we can't We'll be talking about milk in movies. Oh, God, please, Tim. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Uh, dib, dibs on Star Wars blue milk. You know, let's talk about those weird freakish aliens. You know what? Now Jack's pulled up. I'm, I'm, adding, I'm adding this to the fucking oh, no. last season list Tim. of discussions. Him, you're a bad <laughs> Mil- influence. in films. Fucking Alien. Yeah, we got Leon. Oh my God. Clockwork Orange. Yes. <laughs> Let's make it happen. On that lactose filled note, see you next week, folks. Thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week. Merry Christmas. 